here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. If you are listening to this on the Pro Wrestling Ponderings feed, you know my voice very well, for better or for worse. If you are in the Voices of Wrestling feed, then you don't know me. I am the senior editor for Pro Wrestling Ponderings, a website dedicated to covering the world of independent wrestling. And I am the host of this show because we are going to be discussing a lot of independent wrestling, uh, such things as Ring of Honor, uh, PWG, Beyond Wrestling, AIW, and a host of other companies, but I wanted to bring in two guys who watch a ton of wrestling, both internationally as well as in the United States. Um, my first uh, guest, so to speak, both of them are from Voices of Wrestling. They're sort of the, the minds behind it. Uh, they have just completed an incredible week of coverage of New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, Wrestle Kingdom was obviously this past Sunday, and they also completed their first ever ebook, a 2014 New Japan Pro Wrestling Yearbook, uh, an incredible collection of articles and reviews and profiles, and you should definitely get a chance to uh, look at that, and I'm sure they will plug it. Uh, but I, I have this first person on mainly because he's going to bring in the PWS analysis. <laughs> Joe Lanza, how are you doing tonight? Uh, I am, I am fantastic, and I don't even know that we need to plug the ebook now because I think you did it a hell of a lot better than I would have or, or Rich could have as we trip and stumble over our words half the time like bumbling idiots. But uh, <laughs> but th- thank you for getting that plug out of the way right away. So uh, we'll probably uh, we'll hammer it home at the end too, though. Yeah, you you sort of you start off with uh, with the hot plug, and then you end it, and you just leave it alone the rest of the time. I think that's that's how it works. Absolutely, man. You're you're a professional. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> so uh, I, I should have I should have gone to Rich Craig's house uh, because he's close enough. I could have done it, but you could have done this live, yeah. But the the traffic it would have taken you three hours because it took me about an hour to get home from work today. There is a uh, uh, Joe won't know this because he's in in lovely Texas right now. But we have it's about what ten degrees out right now. It's about two inches of snow out. And there's about thirty mile per hour winds. It's it's real great out here. So. In lovely so, Chicago, but yes. Lovely, lovely Chicago, Illinois. Both Rich and I from Chicago, and we are not filming this in studio apartments. Let's make that no, very No, I'm in an apartment, but I have a bedroom, so it's not right. technically, you know, I apologize. For, you know, so uh, let's on. get to it. Let's talk about <laughs> independent wrestling in the year 2014. I Pro Wrestling Ponderings, we've done a number of podcasts sort of individually uh, discussing some of the companies, including Ring of Honor, uh, Joe's favorite, Chikara, PWG, uh, CZW, Beyond. But I sort of want to get your overall takes on the year in 2014. Uh, Joe, I'll go to you first. What, what sort of st- – any matches or companies 
on the independent level that really stood out. And you're someone, obviously, you watch a ton of wrestling that, you know, WWE, international. You had the network. You had New Japan World. What what stuck out to you on the indies? What was getting your attention? Well, first of all, what, what do we? How are we classifying Ring of Honor here? Are we? Classifying- I, I I always say that Ring of Honor is sort of grandfathered in. When we started Pro Wrestling Ponderings, they were still technically an independent company, and because of that, uh, we still cover them like they're an indie, even though they're really they're not, they're really not an independent. They're sort of like in that in-between stage, so I, I give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay, yeah, because nobody really knows what to call them. But, I, 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 you know, for the purposes of this, I have no problem considering them an indie. So if we're throwing them into the mix, I think Ring of Honor really had a very strong year. And I think it was coming off uh, – I thought 2013 was a pretty good year for them. And, and they've, they've kind of been uh, – you know, after you know the Cornette era, I think everybody wants to forget about. But that's firmly in the rear view now. And there was a lot of great stuff going on in Ring of Honor this year. That That's number one. Uh, the second theme this year, I think, in independent wrestling was you're seeing a lot of independent groups um, branching out and popping up uh, and getting television deals. I mean, we've got – to varying degrees. I mean, we have this – this AAW television show, which they've got on the Maddie GTV app on the Roku, which is how I follow the company, even though it might be a couple months behind. I, I think they do a great job with that. You've got PWS going old school, purchasing TV time like they're Paul Heyman in 1994, uh, you know, getting on TV at 4.30 in the morning in, in the New York, New Jersey area. You got Booker T getting on, you know, Soul of the South TV, which, you know, nobody gets the channel. But, uh, you know, it, it, it just seems like a lot of these companies – are, 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 I don't want to say some of them do seem desperate to get on TV, but you know, there's varying levels here. Some of these are good deals. Some of these are bad deals, but what we're seeing is the bottom line is there's more exposure for all these companies. And I think that was a big theme in 2014 as well. Uh, when it comes to independent wrestling. And the third big thing is I think we're start, we're kind of 2014. We were kind of in limbo style wise. When it comes to independent wrestling, you know, we kind of went through a phase where there were a lot of flyers where the AR Foxes broke through and the ricochets. But these are kind of the grizzled vets of the indie scene now. And what we see coming up now is this new style, this grappling style, the Timothy Thatchers, uh, uh, which has which has allowed, uh, you know, Drew Gulak to more focus uh, more on that style. Biff Busick really emerged this year as another guy. And, uh, you know. People are bringing in – promotions are bringing in Zack Sabre to work with those guys. So um, that would be the third thing, sort of the emergence of this new uh, mat-based grappling style that I think uh, we're really going to see a lot more of moving forward in 2015. And, Rich, I'm not sure how much you, – you're at a lot of AEW shows, so maybe you could speak yes. to them a little bit, as well as Ring of Honor and any other indies you're following and what, what captured your attention this yeah, last year. I'll start with Ring of Honor because I, I thought Joe brought up some good points, and I think it personally for me this was the year I, I fell back in love with Ring of Honor because I had been a huge Ring of Honor fan forever, and then the Cornette era, as we mentioned, as Joe sort of said, it, it turned me off in the product, and I really never found a, a, a point where I could jump back in. Like they had been, they had been pretty good now for a, about a year, year or two or whatever, but I had never really wanted to fully jump back in because I was like, ah, you know, I was so in into, you know, I went to every one of their shows. I was front row for maybe five or six years. Every single time they were in Chicago, I was there, and I was, I was that. That was my product. I mean, I, I loved Ring of Honor in that era, and then they sort of they broke my heart, and I never, I, I wasn't sure if I was ever going to come back. This year, though, I haven't attended any live events this year. I'm planning on it next year, though. But this was the year where their TV show and, and, and you know, we're kind of going through Wrestling Observer Award season right now. For me, it was the easy vote for best weekly TV show 
in, in wrestling because every week it might be a little dull. It might be an hour and sometimes stuff doesn't happen, but as a consistent television product, a weekly television product that's available, you know, online available in, in, you know, syndication around the country. It's a really, really good TV show. I think it's, it's one of what I call it to a bunch of people who ask. I say it's the easiest hour of wrestling you're going to watch. It's just, and you have you seen on, the other contenders? I mean, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> Except P- uh, PWS Monday Night Mayhem is the is a close second there, but uh, yeah, it's 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 just I thought it was a really good year for Ring of Honor in terms of also just kind of in ring. I thought they kind of came back. They they've had some years where the character development was okay, but they I mean I, I thought this year was a perfect blend of of, of kind of new stars emerging, you know, an Adam Cole's of the world, even to a lesser extent a Michael Elgin's or whatever, and then also you know the Briscoes emerging as as just continually one of the best tag teams in the country, in the world, you know, of all time. Uh, the TV show kind of coming together, uh, guys like ACH emerging, you know, Cedric Alexander's of the world. I just think overall the in-ring product has improved a lot from what it was, you know, three or four years ago where it looked like, you know, how were they ever going to get back on this talent swing? I mean, they had so much talent, you know, in the 2000s, early 2000s, mid-2000s, and then it was kind of a glut. All their guys went to WWE, retired, you know, they went somewhere else, and they never really – caught that back up. And I don't know if they're fully there, but I think they're definitely on the right path and they know how to build stars. And I think overall you watch those shows and you go to, you know, you go to shows, you listen to the crowds. They're a big deal now. And we said, I mean, we're at the point now where we have to consider like we did at the top of the show. Do we call them an indie anymore? And they're really not that. And that that's a large part is this year. I think put them on that different level, you know, traditional pay-per-view, uh, you know, live events everywhere, you know, uh, uh, cross-promotion with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Just a lot of stuff that Ring of Honor did this year that deserves, you know, some some admiration and really put them above, leaps and bounds above pretty much every other indie promotion at this point, to the point and, where I don't know if they're And also being able yet. to book someone like Alberto El Patron. I mean, right, yeah, I mean, I mean, Del Rio ever. leaves, and, and the first major U.S. promotion is Ring, I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. I mean, that's that's not something you would, you know, it, it's it's unfathomable that that would be that. You know, it would be that way, which is crazy. Um, a few other things, you know, AEW, we mentioned, we, we go to a, a plenty of their shows. I go to pretty much all of them I went to this year. I think the big part about them is that they've literally outgrown the Berwyn Eagles Club. I mean, they had been there now, you know, how many years? How many years would they be? Over 10 years. Like, yeah, over 10 years now. And they, they literally, I mean, I went to numerous shows this year. There was the Kevin Steen show over the summer where they were bringing in chairs. I mean, people were sitting on the stairs. That was fire hazard, you know, standing room only, super no vacancy. That was like, hopefully there's not a fire because we're all going to die because there's no way we're getting out of here. And then again, the, the they, you know, they ended the year with two shows that, you know, maybe the shows weren't the greatest, but it didn't matter. The lineups were great and people went in there and they were packed. Same deal. They were bringing up chairs. You know, every row that I was sitting, I mean, I, there was a point where I was sitting and somebody was saying, ah, this attendance isn't that good. And I said, no, 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 we're in what should be the back row. And there's five rows behind us. There's five or six rows behind us. And, you know, four of those rows are filled. Just because that last row isn't filled doesn't mean anything because that's, that's almost, you know, 100, 200 people more than they had even when I started going to shows. So it's, it's gotten to the point where they've literally outgrown the Berwyn Eagles Club. And now we're seeing the transition of, you know, Vanguard Wrestling. They're, they're kind of coming together with them. Now AEW Vanguard uh, is going to run the Berwyn Eagles Club. And AEW, they're going to run some Berwyn Eagles Club, but they're, they have to go to 115 Bourbon Street. because and, and that's a much bigger venue because they've outgrown that. And that's that's awesome. I mean, that, that tells you right there the health of, of, of independent wrestling in just Chicago. And, and I can attest to that, too, for Dreamwave. I've been to a, a couple of Dreamwave shows this year. They had great crowds, even though it's in LaSalle, Illinois, and it's really, really in the middle of nowhere, like like way far away from Chicago, way far away from really anything. And they put in some good crowds and have had some great cards as well. So to me, the overall 
kind of scope of indie wrestling, and I'll stop here because I'm, I'm going a little long and then I won't talk for <laughs> another 20 minutes or whatever, is I, I think two things. I think growth. I think we're seeing a lot of growth amongst a lot of companies, and, and I think a lot of that is what my second point was, and it's accessibility. And I thought that was the theme of indie wrestling this year is that it is so much easier now to get matches, to get, you know, recap videos, to get – Anything. I mean, everybody, they're starting to finally get it. it it's, a, it's a blend of Twitter. It's a blend of YouTube. It, it, but it's utilizing those formats and those social platforms or whatever to get people to know your stories, to know when matches are coming up, to know when things are happening. If you, it, it, when, when a good match happens, it's no longer in the sort of ether of, well, I'll wait for a DVD, and maybe it's in three months. You know, I don't know when they're going to get the DVD. I mean, stuff's available within minutes if they want it to be. They can put it on a YouTube channel within hours. You can get the DVD or a, a you know a digital download or something like that within a day or whatever. It's 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 amazing the accessibility we have and it's such a far cry from what we did have, you know, te- even 10 years ago and even 5 years ago, really. I mean, it is worth pointing out that when you talk about that accessibility, uh you know, Smart Mark Video just released an AIW show that happened over a week ago. And I think that speaks to that accessibility whereas an AIW show may have taken three to four months to come out even five or six years ago. Right. I mean, Smart Mark Video is just pumping these things out. You're talking a week, two weeks after shows. You know, we're seeing these DVDs out. I mean, Chikara's King of Trios tournament, I mean, those shows were coming out literally hours after they ended. So accessibility to pro wrestling, I think, is huge. And I really like what you mentioned as well about sort of the attendance. And this is something uh, that I've noticed. AEW outgrowing the Berwyn Eagles Club, transitioning over to Bourbon Street, another company beyond wrestling. You know, they were starting to sell shows out uh, at their venue in Providence, Rhode Island. AIW, they moved to a new building for their December show, and they drew over 400 people um, at their uh, new venue at in Cleveland, Ohio. And Joe, you know, I know that you uh, attend Inspire Pro Wrestling, and they had some turnaway crowds. So it seems like independent wrestling, one of the things that they did very well was cultivate their local audiences mm-hmm. again. And Joe, yeah. Joe can talk about Inspire as well. I mean, we, we were talking about that a little bit off air, but, I mean, they're, they're a company, you know, regional company by him that, that's just completely outgrowing their venue. And it took them. It only took them a year. I mean, you know, they're still a, a relatively new company too. And, and yeah, this past Sunday, the show that I wasn't able to get to because I was uh, I was unconscious after Wrestle Kingdom and overslept and wasn't able to get out to Austin in time. They yeah, they just had their first turnaway crowd. They had to turn away people at the door and refuse paying customers. Um, and, and you know, they've they've only been around about a year and a half or so. So that promotion is very healthy. And like Rich was just talking about AEW growing out of their longtime home. Inspire is going to have to change the building that they they've run all their shows out of the same building and it's just it's a very intimate uh, theater that holds about you know three to four hundred fans tops and they they just can't run there anymore. I mean it, it's not going to make any sense for them to do so when they're turning away paying customers. So and I think running the the uh, Chikara cross promotion show that they ran a couple months ago really helped uh, give them a ton of exposure and uh, to people who didn't know who who, who they might have been. Uh, before so, so I think that show really helped a lot. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, they their first turnaway crowd this past Sunday. You know, they sent people with money in hand, you know, back to their cars, which you know that's that's a, that that's a great thing, man. It, it's great there are some indie promoters well. that would not do that. I'm not <laughs> mention names. But. So there's, also, there's also fire marshals who will not allow you to not do that. So you know that that comes into play as well. But, uh, I, but I may or may not have been in a venue somewhere in Southern California where. 
I was very concerned about the fire hazards. <laughs> yeah. Not naming names, but yeah. I'm not naming names. I'm not saying anyone. I'm not accusing any wrestling companies of doing that. Um, but that is, uh, that is worth pointing out. Um, so there, there's some, there's someone that we can talk about that I can think, that I think leads us into a number of different places, and that specifically is the year that Michael Elgin had. And Michael Elgin can sort of take us in the direction of Ring of Honor. He can take us in the direction of contracts. He could take us in the direction of the Battle of Los Angeles, since his match with Trevor Lee is among the most talked about and controversial in wrestling history, apparently. Um, but I think when we looked at the beginning of the year, I, I would have thought that Michael Elgin, at the end of the 2014, would be like the biggest star in, in independent wrestling. And it feels like he's gone the complete opposite direction. You look at where he was in June, Ring of Honor champion, having all of these great Match of the Year contenders, and I, I just feel like, based on what happened in the second half of the year, I feel like he did a lot of real damage to his reputation and to his career. And I think he's worth talking about because this is a guy that I think we could all agree has a lot of in-ring talent and is someone that we would have thought of in being a cer- in a certain light. And I'm curious how your perception of him has changed. And Rich, I'll let you go first this time. Yeah, and, and I think you, you brought up – you basically the way you started that is is basically I mean if you had taken what his trajectory was at the beginning of the year and you have this idea and even you can even not even the beginning of the year you can say as you said halfway through the year close to half in June and this guy is on top of the world he's finally getting that big push Ring of Honor's finally given him you know pretty much given him everything he wanted or, or everything that we've sort of been clamoring for for a while and and full disclosure I'm a huge Elgin fan and I know Joe is as well there's a lot of people there's you know areas of the, of the internet that Elgin fans yeah exactly so so just just for clarification there, there, you know there is this subsection that that really doesn't like Elgin but we've always been on board with him and then. What, what happened was, is there's all of the issues, obviously, with, there's the baseball thing, there's the freak out about New Japan, it, there's the quitting Ring of Honor, all this sort of stuff, whether it was Angle, whether it was not, you know, whatever. What really, though, happened is, and I think I noticed this even going to live shows and looking at the difference year to year, is that he lost a lot of the fans' trust. And in independent wrestling, that's such a huge thing, is that they, in a lot of ways, they cheer for the wrestlers, they're into the characters, but they're into the people more than anything. You cheer for the guys that you believe are legitimately good people, are fun people, are good workers, that sort of stuff. There, there's a lot of things that go into it, but there's sort of that, you know, we're watching a character, but we also, we really, really like the guy, and that's why he's become such a big deal. I mean, a lot of the companies that are smart build off of the man versus the character or whatever. And, and that scene is the best example of that. Exactly. Kevin Steen is a generally nice guy, and that's why he became such a big – I mean, you, you, the, the guy that you can meet after the show and, and, and give a high five to or whatever, and who's going to be nice and who's going to talk – I mean, that's why you root for that guy is because he's just a good dude, and you hope he succeeds or whatever. And that's how I was for a while with Elgin. I was like, you know, I, I just want him to succeed. And then he starts to have this little mental breakdown stuff, and you're not really sure if he's telling the truth in a Facebook post. And then it's sort of like kind of a work shoot thing, and then he's saying, you know, well, he's, he's being you know volatile to, towards fans or whatever. And it's just completely – change the perception of him as the guy that's just out of touch with reality, out of touch with fans. And, and whether or not that's a character or not, I, you know, I don't care. If you want to be the loose cannon, Michael Elgin or whatever, that's fine. But you realize that when you sort of do that and when you use platforms, you know, we talked about accessibility in the, in the previous segment, when you use, you know, platforms like Facebook and Twitter or whatever to sort of work us or, you know, do, do whatever you're doing or, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm playing with you guys, da, 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 you lose a lot of trust. You lose a lot of ability to, to, to level. I, I don't level with Michael Elgin anymore. You know what I mean? He comes out and I just think this is Michael Elgin, a wrestler, and I don't care about the man. And that, that really, I mean, I've been to shows now where 
he's just he's not cheered. There's just nothing. There's it's either so booze, there's heckling, or it's, it's just nothing. He just completely disconnected any sort of relationship between fan and wrestler. And I've not, I've really never seen anything like that. I mean, really. I'd have to really go back to old Ring of Honor, like like Chad Collier, Metal Master days, or some ridiculous like to find a guy who just had zero connection one way or another with the fan base. Where he comes out and it's just like, okay, man, all right. Like I, I've just I've never seen the phenomenon. It's crazy because I've seen it too. Like we were at the same AEW show where I think we both got that sense that Michael Elgin isn't getting a reaction, any reaction, booing, cheering, anything. It's it's so strange, Joe. If you have any thoughts, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you know. Michael Elgin is batshit crazy, and he's probably someone who should – social media is bad for Michael Elgin. He can't handle it. Um, he's a guy who gets into it with fans on Twitter. You've got to have thicker skin than that. Uh, it, look, if you're an independent wrestler, you're a celebrity. You might be a C- or D-list celebrity, but you're a celebrity, and people are going to try to pick at you, and they're going to try to get under your skin. And if they see you're susceptible to that, you're only going to draw more of those trolls towards you. You're going to be like, a, you know, a, you know, flies drawn, being drawn to a lamp. And he doesn't have any self-control, and social media is just not the right thing for him. The other problem with him is he wears his emotions on his sleeve. And uh, Michael Elgin's the kind of guy who – he really needs to reevaluate himself, look at himself, and just shut up and go out there and do his job. Because when he opens his mouth, bad things happen. He doesn't have the right kind of personality where he could be outspoken and wear his emotions on his sleeve. It comes off in a bad light when he does those things. Some guys can get away with it. Some guys have that kind of charisma. He does not. Um, as far as Michael Elgin, the worker, goes, look, I, I like the guy, and that's not popular to say anymore. I like, I like a little tank goes in there and throws bombs and does too much. I like when guys do too much. I want to be entertained. Uh, <laughs> Michael Elgin's style has never bothered me. Okay, I, I, it's never rubbed me the wrong way. I, you know, I, I like big bombs. I like guys who who uh, who throw in a no sell now and then or, or 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 replicate a fighting spirit spot. That still doesn't bother me. I like his work. But the guy's a nutcase. And, and, and I think Rich nailed it on the head. I think fans have figured that out. And when you're an independent wrestler, it is more intimate. And who you are as a person does matter more than if you're a quote-unquote television star because you're more disconnected from those guys. Uh, there's more of a personal connection on the indie level, and, and, and people kind of see it. Just they, they, they just don't – I think a lot of people just don't like the guy personally. On top of that whole other segment of fans who can't stand his work, which I could see where they're coming from too. Um, it just – you know, I, it's, it's never bothered me. I've always enjoyed his work. Yeah, I mean, I think we'd be unanimous in saying the three of us all are big fans of Elgin's in-ring work. Oh, absolutely. And um, another person that I want to talk about is uh, is Ricochet, because I, I sort of, maybe not to the degree of Michael Elgin, but I sort of question at where he is right now at the beginning of 2015. I mean, this is a guy who was the Open the Dreamgate champion, who won the Open the Freedom Gate title, won the best of the Super Juniors in New Japan, won Bola, and to an extent it sort of feels like he's a little bit off the map. And some of this is indie wrestling, some of this is international, but you two guys are the right guys to talk to about Ricochet's time in both Dragon Gate and New Japan. So what, what did you guys think of his 2014? Because if, if you had asked me in August, I would have said Wrestler of the Year, and there would have been very little doubt in my mind, just for the in-ring, everything he did. But it, it just felt like ever since that, ever since he went to Lucha Underground, things his momentum has stalled a little bit. And I'm curious to know what you guys think of that. And Joe, I know you review Lucha Underground, and uh, you reviewed his uh, his big title win as Prince Puma. But 
Uh, any thoughts on Ricochet's 2014? Well, first of all, the, the worst show – That's the that was the hardest show I ever had to review in my life because it was one hour-long battle royal, uh, and that was the entire show. And I am not creative enough to make something readable out of uh, reviewing an hour-long battle royal, which was the entirety of a show. So please, nobody read that. That's the only time <laughs> I'm ever going to say that. Don't go read that wall of It text. wasn't your best work. I'll admit it was, it was probably the worst Lucha Underground review we've ever had. Uh, so. It was impossible to do, but uh, – <laughs> As far as Ricochet goes, I mean, everywhere he went this year or last year, um, you know, he got pushed to the moon. You know, he won the best of Super Juniors in New Japan. He won the uh, Open the Dreamgate and Dragon Gate. He won uh, Bola. He won uh, Lucha Underground uh, um, World Title, which I guess they're referring to it as a World Title or whatever. So um, everywhere he went, he got he got you know a maximum push. Um, you know, the Open the uh, Freedom Gate too um, yeah. over WrestleMania weekend. So you know, and the thing is, I, I from what I understand, and the reason he sort of disappeared off the face of the earth after August, he hasn't been back to Japan since. Okay, whether it be New Japan or Dragon Gate, and it was no secret that New Japan was hot for the guy. Okay, they wanted to kind of steal him out from under the rug from Dragon Gate. He hasn't been back to Dragon Gate either, and I think the reason he sort of disappeared off the face of the earth after after the summer is, from what I understand, he got an incredible sum of money from Lucha Underground. And Conan is more than an enormous fan of that guy. And and there were some issues at first, too, where they yanked him from a couple bookings that conflicted with a late television taping that, that they had scheduled. And, um, you know, that's his first priority. Lucha Underground, you know, that's – he can work other places, and they, they, they kind of have a handshake agreement with Gabe. But, you know, he, they're paying him a lot of money, and, you know – He's, that's going to be his – if anything conflicts with Lucha Underground, Lucha Underground is going to win. So uh, maybe he feels like with the money he's making with those guys that he can take it easy and, 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 and not have to take as many dates and not have to globe trot the way he has been over the last – And to time. be fair, I, he does have a family. He's got a – I believe he has a young son. So mm-hmm. that probably plays into that. But it's it's just weird that he was literally everywhere in the first half of the year and – He's in Lucha Underground and WWN, and it's it's just a really he had a strange year, and well, he's been really good. Yeah, but the fact of the matter is, let's face it: if he wanted to be working in Japan right now, he can call his shots. He'd be working in Japan right now. Uh, it, it, it just it, it's so that's why it kind of lends credence to the rumors that he got a shit ton of money from Lucha Underground because he probably doesn't feel the need to go take those three, four, or five week tours anymore away from his kid. So, um, yeah, I just, I just think Lucha Underground, you know, made him an offer he couldn't refuse. And, you know, good on that guy if he's, you know, making as much money or, or even more money than he was before and, and taking less bumps. I mean, who can blame him? Yeah, and that, that's where I sort of stand as well. It's very, you know, it's obviously not a, a completely odd year. And, yeah, as you're saying, Jerome, in August, if you had, you know, said, who's your wrestler of the year? You know, in the Observer Awards, who are you voting wrestler of the year? It would have been Ricochet easily. I mean, that's that's a guy who, even from a kayfabe sense, if you want, I mean, that's a guy who just had accolades everywhere, won every title everywhere he went, won every big tournament, everything he did. And then, yeah, he almost, in a lot of ways, fell off the face of the earth. And, and, and for people that, I mean, if you want to, again, from a kayfabe standpoint, Ricochet, I mean, he, he's done. I mean, he did nothing after that because, you know, we obviously transformed into Prince Puma and then Lucha Underground. And, and that's a lot of fun. And it's, it's, he's still putting on good matches or whatever. But, yeah, it's, it's a very weird year. I mean, I've had a lot of issues on how do I sort of – because – 
I'm going through the Observer Awards now, and I want to reward the guy for having, you know, a great eight months. I mean, just an unbelievable eight months. But then how heavily do you weigh, you know, the last few that we've had where he's just sort of been a ghost or he's just basically done the bare minimum in Lucha Underground? And, again, and I don't feel – I don't want to – overall is pretty weird because you've got Ricochet and Michael Elgin and Daniel Bryan who all – could have easily been contenders, and they all basically fell off the face of the earth. Exactly, yeah. So it's, it's very strange. And I, I don't mean to demean sort of the work he's doing in Lucha Underground because it's good, but as Joe said, it's so weird that this was a guy who was everywhere, literally everywhere. I mean, he was on indie shows that I was at, too. I mean, he was just anywhere in the world on a weekly basis. You were probably going to watch Ricochet wrestle, and then from, you know, October on, nowhere. Zero. You never saw him anywhere besides in Lucha Underground. So it's a very unique, you know, more power to him. I mean, if he can do it and then he's getting paid for it, more power to him. But it's a very odd year for a guy that was sort of a superstar of independent wrestling in the first half of the year that now I don't know where you put him. I don't really know what a lot of people think about him. I, I It's just very weird. And, and, and again, you can't really fault the guy for what he's doing or, or his choice, but it's just it's so unique. I can't think of anything like that where he had a year where a guy just did everything and wrestled everywhere and then was just a ghost the last half of the year. But, I mean, money talks, so <laughs> more power well, to him again, yeah. Consider this, too. You know, he made a uh, – Jerome raised a great point with, with his family and his child. But the other thing was there was a lot of talk that he was hurting physically. Yeah. And, and you sort of saw those changes in his style. He didn't – he never totally toned it down completely. Uh, you know, he wasn't – he didn't turn into Larry Zabisco with 15 minutes of stalling and and, and, <laughs> and, and and maybe taking one bump and then going to the finish. You know, I don't want to go that far with it, but there were definite changes in his style. I mean, just look at, you know, how, you know, he came up with the Benadriller instead of doing, you know, wacky, you know, 630s and, and everything else as a finish. He created something that was much easier on his knees. And, uh, you know, that could play into it as well. Like, again, you know, maybe he just, you know, physically things are starting to catch up with him. How old is he now? Is he is he getting into his late 20s now, or is he still 24, 25? He's in his 20s, but he's been wrestling a long time. Yeah, I mean, since he was, like, about 17 or whatever. He's he pretty in, much consistently, he was, right? He was in IWA Mid-South in, like, 2006 and seven. So Yeah, yeah. With, the bad, with the bad straightened hair and everything. Yeah, <laughs> he was so good. The, so the flat iron hairstyle is pretty awful. <laughs> he weighed about but, 102 uh, pounds and <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, yeah, there's just and and that's look, that's a high impact style that he works, obviously. So it's it's starting to catch up with him as you start to creep towards thirty. You know, things start to hurt. So especially working that style, so you know that could play into it as well. Why he's twenty six? Guys were curious. So it's twenty six. Probably been working about nine or ten years, right? So you know, starting to add up. Definitely, and uh, so I mentioned a couple of guys that I think are very very noteworthy and. There's somebody else that I think I want to mention that is very much on the uprise. And to me, the, the, the first name is Kyle O'Reilly. Uh, this is the guy who was Ring of Honor Tag Team Champion for most of the year, uh, who's PWG Champion for most of the year. Uh, just a wide variety of work. And uh, obviously at the end of 2014, he and Bobby Fish were able to go to New Japan uh, and very quickly had some success. They are the current IWGP Junior Tag Team Champions and... Guys, if if we do this podcast next year, I fully expect to be talking about Kyle O'Reilly either as the Ring of Honor champion or as the next Ring of Honor champion. What do you guys think? Joe, you want to kick it off? Yeah, I mean, I, I love Kyle O'Reilly, and I do think that sort of um, separating himself from Davey Richards, whether intentionally or otherwise, and I'll just leave that out there, it was probably – very good for his career. Um, and, 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 you know, 
I don't want to. I don't want. Look, I'm not trying to bury Davy Richards. I don't think Davy Richards gives a flying fuck what anybody thinks about him. Uh, Davy Richards just does his own thing. He seems thrilled as hell to be with TNA and working that part-time schedule so he can ride around in his ambulance and play with his pugs or whatever the hell else it is that he does <laughs> when he's not wrestling. No, I'm being serious. I mean, th- th- you can't say the guy doesn't seem happy. Yeah, no, he's um, – yeah. You know, I, I you know, it, it's it's he likes doing other things, and I think that's why I kind of wanted TNA to survive because I think TNA, it, you know, is a good fit for certain people. You know, TJ Perkins is another guy that TNA is just a great fit for that dude. Um, but but anyway, back to O'Reilly. I think it was smart to separate himself from Davy Richards because Davy Richards obviously has heat in a million different places, and O'Reilly was a Davy Richards guy, and I think. I don't think people look at Kyle O'Reilly anymore as, oh, he's that da- he's that guy who's buddy with Davey Richards. He's that guy who, you know, is hopping in the car with wheelman Tony Kazina and ripping off promoters in Iowa. They're not looking at Kyle O'Reilly like that anymore uh, because th- there's been enough separation between the two of those dudes now. And, and, his, and, and I think you're right. He's a guy who really is poised to break out in 2015 and working with and traveling with uh, uh, look, Rich knows I love this guy. Everybody probably knows I love this guy by now. But but traveling around with and working with a, 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 a veteran, a solid veteran hand, a pro like Bobby Fish, I mean, look, that, that that's never going to be a bad thing. Bobby Fish has had more great years as a pro wrestler that nobody is knows about or is aware of uh, than a lot of guys out there. You know, Rich was shocked to find out that he was 38 years old. Uh, Bobby Rich, uh, Bobby Fish has been around a long time. Bobby Fish has been in a lot of places. Bobby Fish is, has seen and done a lot of things, and he's a great worker in his own right. And, uh, and I, much I, better as a heel, worth noting. Uh, where did Bobby – let me tell you something. I'm the world's biggest Bobby Fish fan, but where the hell did he find all that charisma in the last year or two? I, I, was, told, I was told when Bobby Fish signed with Ring of Honor and came in as a heel that that's exactly what he needed to be, and the, those people were proven rights. Yeah, I mean, I, I always stood up for the guy in, in terms of being a worker. I had no idea he had that kind of charisma in him. This guy's a charisma machine. Bobby Fish is quite great. Kyle O'Reilly's quite great as well. I mean, this guy, what can you, what can be said? I mean, he's just this, he's so great. He, as PWG champion, as Ring of Honor tag team champion, wrestling in New Japan, I mean, there's there's no reason that this guy can't be one of the top five workers oh. at the end of this year. Oh, certainly, and and, and I'll um I'll, I'll actually I'll, I'll toot my own horn here because uh, it was I think it was 2009 was the first time I saw Kyle O'Reilly and he, he did like a Ring of Honor dark match or something like that and and I remember that was the first time when I said wow this guy's really good I think this is guy I mean he's still super young at this point and I said what? this guy he's got it there's something that he's got I, I don't I can't put my finger on it but he's got it and it took it took a while to get there and it was it was probably a few years ago where I was like yeah he's still kind of just there where he was in 2009 or whatever and I haven't really seen enough progression but this year I thought more than any year of his career was was him just sort of redefining what he's about getting to a different level I you know he looks stronger he looks more confident his moveset it's finally coming to his own he's got his own little style to him or whatever and it's a unique style it's a little bit of the grappling it's a little bit of kicking but it's 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 not it's not too much of one thing and I think that's what's so perfect about him is that he's so good at sort of working in different styles he's almost like a Biff Busick and we'll, we'll probably talk about him at some point who you know there's guys that are like the straight grapplers or whatever like the Timothy Thatcher and, and people love that style and you know it's not my thing but that's all he does I mean that's his style or whatever whereas Abusa can can do that but then he can also do kind of like a, a brawling style or whatever like a strong style or, or whatever and that's what I get out of O'Reilly is whoever he's facing he can he can alter how he works 
in the middle of a match, he can change too. I mean, that, that's to me, it's so much fun to watch him work and watch him progress and see where he's come in just a few years. And really, I mean, yeah, this is the the, the hallmark year for him. I think this is where he kind of came into his own. And yeah, I'm right with you, Jerome. I think next year at this exact time, if we do this podcast, he's either had a, a, a world title reign in Ring of Honor, another big promotion, or we're talking about him right on the cusp and, you know, at the next big pay-per-view or whatever he's going to do it. But, yeah, I totally think that that's, that, that, that's the ceiling for him. I think it, it sky's the limit, really. And uh, you guys have, have mentioned the sort of the, the new style, a guy like Biff Busick. I'm a huge fan of his. I think it's a damn shame that he may not ever get a chance to wrestle in Ring of Honor the way that Ring of Honor is presently constructed. But I, I see this guy as – just an amazing talent. The fact that he's very charismatic. I mean, the moment that he walked out uh, at Battle of Los Angeles, he was instantly over with that crowd. And he got himself, I would say, significantly more over uh, than even a guy like Drew Gulak and even a guy like Bobby Fish. I mean, all very similarly styled wrestlers, but Busick is the guy that really stood out, I think. And um, he's definitely someone that I hope can get increased opportunities. And I know you two guys, it's funny, I'm a huge fan of the, the Timothy Thatcher, Drew Gulak, and Biff Busick, sort of their style, and I know that you two guys are not necessarily fans of it, but um, to me, Biff Busick is a guy that is just absolutely incredible, and can. I think I hope that he gets into WWE, because I think he would actually fit in very well there with his style and with his ability on the mat. I think Biff Busick would be a great fit in WWE. Actually, and actually, of those three guys, of the three guys who are getting all the attention for that style, uh, he's the one I like the best out of uh, when it comes to Busick, Thatcher, and Gulak. But you know, you mentioned something. You mentioned that he won't. You don't see him getting an opportunity in Ring of Honor now. If I recall, back when he was working as uh, what was it, Francis O'Rourke? What was his other gimmick? Was it was it Francis yes. O'Rourke? Yes. Okay. Wasn't he a regular uh, during the Chikara split when uh, when when all the you, what was the delirious wrestling wrestling is is uh, it was wrestling is respect. Boonton, New Jersey. Wrestling is insanity or respect, whichever one it was. It was yeah, it was respect. Those are the only wrestling is show that I ever bought and enjoyed. So <laughs> yeah, and, and, those, and those were run by delirious, correct? I, I would assume that they were they were in sort of in conjunction delirious and Mike Quackenbush. Was. What are you? What <laughs> Mike Quackenbush did not run those wrestling shows. <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? My, my point here is 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 Busick worked those shows presumably for delirious. I mean, you know, let's let's not be dense here. So, are you <laughs> suggesting that there's some sort of uh, political issue between him and Ring of Honor, or do you just don't think, or is there something you can't talk about? Because I'm putting you on the spot here because now I'm curious. <laughs> From- <laughs> Look at the way that Ring of Honor gets their talent now. They get a lot of their talent through these camps that a lot of the rest that wrestlers pay to get in. If you're a Biff Busick, why are you going to pay for a Ring of Honor camp when you are at a certain level? I well look you you would know better than me. I mean if if that's how you're saying that they're finding their talent, I'll I, just I'll, based on what I know and based on what I'm seeing, I am not seeing the top independent names mm-hmm. necessarily. And you know, Biff Busick, to be fair, he may have a WWN contract, and that obviously that changes things pretty significantly. So if he does, then maybe I'm speaking a little bit out of turn. But if he does, I mean, to me, this is a guy. 
who I would have signed at the beginning of this year, if not last, at the beginning of 2013. Well, th- well if he's got a WWN contract, then he, he would have had to have signed it very recently because he wouldn't have been able to work the CZWI pay-per-views, correct? I don't know how WWN contracts work because sometimes they can and sometimes they can't. The, the rules on WWN contracts are always very weird because, I mean, Johnny Gargano was on a WWN contract and he was wrestling on an, and he wrestled on AIW, AIW ran two pay-per-views and Gargano was on both of them and he was under WWN contracts. So I don't know how those contracts work. Yeah, because I'm trying to think and I can't really think of any other WWN guys who work CZWI pay-per-views. But with that said, CZW, I mean, half their card is filled with yard tards. So who knows? So, you know, they're not really using. I know uh, you're a big fan of them. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more about these guys. CZW is, is, Okay, I'm someone who watches a lot of wrestling. I watch a ton of wrestling that we don't talk about on our own podcast. I, I stay up all hours of the night and watch Japanese indie sleaze. Uh, I watch a ton of random independent uh, promotions on YouTube and whatnot. I go to a ton of shows. CZW, and this is not hyperbole, CZW, without question, is the worst wrestling promotion on the face of planet Earth. Uh, there is nothing on this planet worse than CZW, and I can say that with complete confidence, and I think the gap is pretty wide between CZW and whatever the second worst wrestling promotion, whatever the second worst wrestling promotion in the world is, I can I can watch an entire three-hour show because I love wrestling, and I'll find something to like now, about when you, it. when you say it's the worst, are you it's saying the it's the worst. worst based on the talent involved? Uh, some of the talent is really cringy. Um, but it's more the pre- it's everything about it. The presentation, um, the booking is 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 just horrid. The fans are just mouth breathing cretins. Um, just everything about that. There's nothing redeeming about CZW. I attempted to watch the last two CZW pay per views, uh, Tangled Web and uh, I guess it was Cage of Death. Okay, I attempted to watch both of those shows and I had to tap out before the shows were even ha- before they even got to the halfway point. And I'll watch anything. I watch Japanese indie. I watch Japanese indie promotions with the worst wrestlers you've ever seen worked in front of a dozen people on folding chairs. But I couldn't get through these CZW shows. It's just everything about it is terrible. And that's not to say everybody who works for CZW is terrible. There's some talented people who work for CZW. There's some really awful people who work for – there's a lot of T-shirt-wearing, sneaker-wearing guy who, who, who I wouldn't book to work in my backyard. But, I mean – it's it's just a terrible promo- – there's just nothing redeeming about CZW. If CZW ran one of their pay-per-views in my backyard, I would draw the blinds. I wouldn't even watch it for free if they ran their show in my backyard. This is the Joe Lanza we love. <laughs> right. In case you didn't know what Joe Lanza was, there he is, everybody. So enjoy. There uh, yeah, we had a, a Joe Lanza tangent for the night. Oh, yeah. We, we had our reviewer, uh, Warren Taylor. I, I, I brought up – you know, we, we were looking at the week of, of – cards or whatever and 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 we've never covered ccw before and so i said you know hey this this pay-per-view is going on this weekend or this i-pay-per-view uh does anybody want it and warren taylor was like yeah you know what i'll be home on saturday i'll do it you know i have no problem doing it he sent me a text i think it might, i think he, he lasted an hour and he said rich i'm really really sorry i cannot do it he's just like he, under good conscience i have to stop watching this like, he couldn't I, finish it either he won't, he's I like won't i need to drain i need to put bleach in my eyes and, and never remember this and this guy i mean he'll review anything like he, if he says he's going to do it, he has never once backed out of a review ever about anything. And this one, he was just like, "Rich, I no, I, I can't." I'm like, I just, I, I will never speak of this again. It was like he, it, 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 where did the doll touch you? Or you know, show me on the doll where it touched you. It's just like I'm, wow. I, I don't want to talk about it. Like 
I just, I'm done. I'm over. And I, and I, I can't give any strong opinions because I, I, I don't watch it. So I think Rich is the big winner because he hasn't watched it. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I, I gave up on CCW about 13 years ago. So I'm, I'm, I think I'm good. So uh, from I, what I ended, look, they had some good years in between, in between the blood and guts death match nonsense that I can't get into. And in between whatever the hell they are now, I don't know what they are now. Um, there were some good years in there. Uh, you know, from the little bit that I saw, but I don't know. It's just, it's just awful now. So now that we've got the CCW conversation <laughs> out of the way, um, let's talk a little bit about some of the other let's independent our sponsors, CCW. <laughs> let's hear from our sponsors, CCW, DJ Hyde. I'm the one. Anyway, so obviously you guys both watched a lot of wrestling. Go watch. Well, it. didn't, well, didn't DJ Hyde ruin a woman's promotion too? I don't follow women's wrestling at all, but from what I understand, he got his claws into, uh, what is it, WSU? Is that what it's called? So this this podcast is, is an excuse for Joe Lanza to just ask me questions about independent wrestling. Put me on the <laughs> spot like really while we are recording yeah, right. and just have me talk about it. Hey, listen, you knew what you were getting into when you booked me. I, this is what I do. I, I don't pull any punches, Jerome. You got Joe Lanza here, okay? We're going to get to the bottom of things. So so Drew Cordero was the owner of WSU at the beginning of the year, and then he sold the company for a profit to DJ Hyde, and DJ Hyde is the current owner of the WSU promotion. And on that first show, they did indeed give JT Dunn and David Starr, who if you don't know who they are, they are not women, <laughs> uh, gave them the WSU tag team titles. <laughs> DJ Hyde also integrated himself onto the show, and there was something involving a blowjob and Jessica Havoc. So that oh, is your that is your WSU. Yeah. Now, all kidding aside, wasn't that very what that was terribly received from fans of that promotion? Correct. Look, I, I know what you think about. I know I know your sort of political views and and whatnot, but that that was uh, bad art. Uh, listen, I, no, no, look, I, I'm not, listen, I, I'm not defending it at all. I'm saying it's terrible. Uh, it's I, really I don't, bad. I, I have, I have no, I have no use for blowjob stipulations in my wrestling. That just, that's a complete and total turnoff. I think it's insulting to everybody involved. Um, it, it's, it's, it just, it all sounded horrendous to me. But in all, what I'm asking you is, since you're tuned in, did it get over with the fan base or was it something where everyone was just like, what the hell did he do to this promotion? In your minimal contact with women's wrestling fans, I'll pose the question to you. How do you think it got over? <laughs> Real well, I'm assuming. Really, really well. Outstanding. Five well, and a half stars. A, I wouldn't expect it to get over with women, but, you know. With the some... WSU fans, I, I don't think so. The few, that I, the few that I do talk to. I mean, the thing about WSU is, so you've got your top shelf women's brand is Shimmer. There is no doubt about it. That is, that is the women's promotion if you want to be the considered one of the best that's who you work for you look at what aiw does with uh the girls night out brand yes i think it's a mixed bag at times but for the most part i think they're doing a better job of developing talent they're at least trying to bring in some new girls from around uh, north america including canada and the united states and i think they're at least trying to build something uh, you look at the shine promotion i mean they're running on a monthly basis and, again, they are doing a pretty good job of sort of building their own brand as part of the WWN universe. They've at least got a building. They've got consistent announcing and talent and all that good stuff. You look at WSU. This is a company that ran four shows this year. All four shows were before CZW-branded shows in that building that we all love in Voorhees, New Jersey, the Flyers, the Flyers Skate Zone. 
and they do not have their own identity. They have had a lot of roster problems over the last couple of years, uh, just a ton of turnover. When Drew took over, there were there was a ton of turnover right there uh, because they didn't like Drew for whatever reason. And then again, you know, Drew left, uh, sold the company off, and there's sort of been some transitions there as well. There was a lot of controversy surrounding uh, Kimberly, uh, her leaving CZW. I think she's still in WSU, though, so um, maybe not her. But, you know, they've had injury problems. You know, Athena got hurt. And, you know, basically there was a show where their the, their two number one contenders for their two singles titles were not able to compete. So um, they just had a lot of consistency problems, a lot of problems drawing. I mean, this is a company that used to be owned by the Mick, Sean uh, the Mick McCaffrey, and the fact that Drew took it over and ran four shows, and they were all on DVD, and they were all watchable on Smartmark Video, that was a step up. So what does that tell you, Joe? I, uh, well, it tells me that whatever's happening now doesn't sound like it's very good, and uh, it, it honestly doesn't surprise me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a shame if people were, 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 were into it, and uh, it was another place to watch women's there wrestling. There was a lot of hope, I think, when Drew took over, and it's, it just has never manifested itself. That is the uh, that is the kind of thorough answer and response that I was expecting. <laughs> there we go. Yes, we all you did, you did a fine job, Mr. Kusan. So we've got the CZW WSU talk. I, I know everybody is you listening to that. Box, that. Yes. <laughs> check that yeah, box. check that box off. I want to know what you guys thought of uh, PWG this year because they are a company that is always up there. I mean, Matt Stryker on the Wrestle Kingdom broadcast he mentioned PWG as, like, one of the companies in North America to watch. And I thought that was very interesting because, you know, WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor, Lucha Underground, these are all companies that are on television. PWG doesn't have a TV deal. They run once every two months, but yet they have sort of cultivated a a cult-like status in the world of pro wrestling. And I know that both of you guys had a chance to watch BOLA, but what did you guys think of PWG this year? Uh, Rich, I'll let you go. You haven't talked in a while, so yeah, no, no, I was I, I was listening intently and taking notes on, on the previous conversation. No, I think this was a big year for PWG because I thought they, in, in a lot of ways, they didn't really change a lot of what they did, which which I, I we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. I think we can. I, I would like to actually talk about that a little because we've talked about it on our podcast, but I like to get it, you know, talk a little bit with you. But um, I thought they grew up in a lot of ways because they really they've become more than you know. You said they've cultivated the, the, you know this cult following and that stuff, but I think it's a little bit even more than that because I think it, and it could be uh, you know social media, it could be the reddits of the world, it could just be accessibility or whatever. But I thought this year more than ever they they became less of that you know that little indie that runs some cool shows in Southern California to what feels like an international indie, even though they still just run the same shows in the same place, doing the same thing they've always done, but there's just so much more buzz around them. There's, you know, we did the, the, the G1 Pick'em in the, in the summer, and I said, yeah, there's going to be like 10 people who are going to sign up for this thing. And we had hundreds of people that were following it every single moment of the way. We had people, when those DVDs came out, going crazy over them, going nuts on, on who was going to review it and, 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 you know, when reviews were coming out and people sharing GIF images and, and, and all that sort of stuff. It to me in a lot of ways, and I don't know necessarily what caused it, but something happened where it became less of just this fun little indie in the in the South that that or in, you know Southern California that that books a lot of good talent to one that everybody watches and everybody really looks forward to, and, and it's not just Bola, it's all of their events. I mean, we have 
you know, I look at the, the the reviews we do on our site, and the hits continue to grow for PWG. And whenever Larry puts up a review, it does amazingly well, like shockingly well compared. I mean, this is we're talking about five month old shows or something like that. You know, three month old shows, and they do shockingly well because people are interested in the brand. There's something about it that's just fun. And I think this was the year where they kind of, in a lot of ways, grew up. Here's a little inside baseball for both uh, both listenerships. When we do PWG results live on our Twitter, that's a night where we can pick up like 10 to 15 followers. There was one night, I I don't remember when this was. This might have been this year uh, when they did Mystery Vortex 2. But there was a night where we picked up 60 followers just because we were tweeting out PWG results. And I can tell you that the results, as far as hits go, it is Ring of Honor and then PWG is yeah. number two with a bullet. I believe it. Yeah, I, I definitely believe that. I think that um, as far as, you know, we, we've kind of been critical of PWG in terms of, of how they put out their content, and we kind of wish they were a little quicker with that. Um, and it, look, but it's, it's, it's kind of hard to knock them from the perspective of they, 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 they sort of keep uh, – their reputation continues to grow, and, and, and it's not like – you know, their hype train has been derailed by the fact that they wait so long to put their stuff out. Um, I, we were, I was on, uh, well, actually, me and Rich were both on Dr. Keith Presents with Alan Coonahan, his show. And, um, you know, he had mentioned that, you know, when you really think about it, PWG is the only major promotion in the world, you know, depending on your definition of major, um, that their content isn't available immediately. Any other promotion in the world, you can reasonably see any of their shows within literally hours these days. I mean, it, it really is a whole new world. And PWG is really the only company uh, where you, you have to wait months, in some cases, for their content. And yet that hasn't derailed them, um, which is actually amazing when you think about it. Because, you know, as fast as the world moves now, you would think that people wouldn't be patient. <laughs> but there's really only 300 people in the world that can see PWG in a timely basis, and that's the 300 people that they cram in that building. And it hasn't derailed, uh, you know, the hype surrounding it. And that just goes to show that uh, what they're presenting is, look, PWG is fun. I mean, that that's really the one word that sums them up. They go out there and they present a product that's fun. Yep. I'm someone who earlier on this podcast mentioned that you can, it isn't possible to give me too much. I want to be entertained. I'll be honest. Sometimes PWG shows are too much. They're exhausting to watch sometimes. You know, by the time you get to the last third of their shows, sometimes I gotta, I gotta, I gotta pause it and watch the rest later. It's just, sometimes it's too much. Uh, but look, you know, th- those crowds are hot and they're rabid from start to finish. So, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to make that criticism. Um, I didn't like Bola as much as some people did. Don't get me wrong. I thought it was a great three days of wrestling. But, uh, you know, you know, nothing from those shows is going to make my top ten matches of the year. None that's, of those what shows... it, that's what I think a lot of people felt it was missing. It was missing that one blow-away match that really brought it all together. It was missing that Nakamura versus Ibushi match that just made everything just connect so well. Yeah, and I completely agree with that. It was like... Everything was really good, but but there was nothing. There were there wasn't that one match that was just you know like you said the blowaway match that was great that that maybe would uh you know ha- would have brought even more attention to it. But yeah, this was clearly the the most these bowlers they get more and more hype each year that we move along, and I've been watching them since you know 
whenever they started. So what's that called? Back to five. Yeah, five. I was gonna ten years. I was gonna say two thousand seven. So you know, even longer than that. So I mean, we're talking like Jamie Noble was in the first bowl. Yeah, there's a lot of weird names when you go back and look at some of the names that have have wrestled in those. Yeah, it's a different world. It's a different independent world. You know, two thousand five, two thousand six, two thousand seven to what we have today. Um, Earl Anderson and and, and Scott Walsh. Yeah, like there, there's some incredible ones. Do yourself a favor and check those out. I, I, I got a good laugh when I was doing an article, uh, you know, about that. What was uh, what was your guys' favorite PWG show from this year of the stuff that you saw? Because I agree, I, Bola was not my favorite. My favorite was the Sold Our Soul for Rock and Roll. I thought that was a great card, top to bottom, and exactly what I would want out of you know a wrestling card. That 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 was one of my favorite shows of the of the entire year. See, I would have to say Bola because I was there live. I, well, I'm okay. Very well, that, okay, I get that. That's that. that okay. I mean, when you're there live, that's. Wait, I mean, I don't think I, I, you guys have never been there, right? Hold to, on a minute. Uh, I'm making this connection. Was was that perhaps the company you were talking about earlier? I I will not respond <laughs> to those types of questions. It was right? the other. <laughs> I I'm not I'm not going to incriminate anyone. Championship wrestling from Hollywood is what you were talking about. Sorry. I I, I, got it. I will only answer Joe Lanza's question. <laughs> if you if you've seen. If you've seen Championship Wrestling from Hollywood's TV, believe me, they're not, <laughs> there's, they're no not, they're not turn, there's no fire hazards at those shows. <laughs> uh, and, th- and, and their TV is dreadful. Actually, I just uh, – I, I might as well just bury everybody on this. Yeah, let's just go I, ahead. Yeah, knock yourself out. Their TV was so bad that I just stopped DVRing it. It was just boring. I mean, I can't even call it bad. It was just boring. And now it's completely off the schedule, so I don't even think that they're sending tapes to Mav TV anymore. And if they are, Mav TV is not showing them. So I don't know. We play a game of uh, kill, a quick game of uh, Mary Fuck Kill. Uh, (laughs) Monday Night Raw, CZW, and Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. Okay, I would definitely marry Championship Wrestling from Hollywood because it's so boring and safe that I don't have to. I don't have to worry about championship wrestling from Hollywood, you know, philandering with my friends or dr- being out drinking all night and, 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 and making bad decisions. Championship wrestling from Hollywood is always going to be home, uh, you know, watching watching Mad Men with me, maybe making me a nice dinner. Uh, you know, that, that, that's a nice safe pick to marry. Uh, I would definitely fuck Monday Night Raw because uh, Monday Night Raw is a variety show, and you're going to get a little bit of everything. It's not going to be the same sex every night. You know what I mean? They're going to mix it up. They're going to keep things fresh. And without question, the easiest choice of all is I would kill CZW because CZW just doesn't deserve to exist. So we might as well just eradicate them from existence. So so there you go. Fuck, marry, kill. There's my, there's my response. I vote. I you could not have gotten a better answer from Kill Lands on that one. That's that, on the fly too. Listen, that's not on the production notes I'm looking at. So I mean, um, that's that's fantastic. I, you could you could not have done you could not have answered that question better. If you tried. <laughs> you will never do that again. We better not lose this podcast now. I got it double recorded, so we are, we are okay. I just I yeah, just confirmed after that answer that we happening. are. Yeah, I, I'm good on uh, my end. So yeah, Bola being at Bola was just amazing. And if you guys ever get a chance to go out to Los Angeles, you should do so. Uh, in 2015, it's, 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 I'm not a religious person, but it is like the closest thing to going to like wrestling church that there is. I could hear, I could hear the smile in your voice when you started talking about being there live. And I, I, I really know how you feel. I, I, um, one of our live show correspondents, Rob Stryker, he actually went to BOLA in like 2000. Eight, I want to say one of the old school bows, and he has been in that. They were running the same building back then, right? They may not have been then, actually. Uh, I think um, they were. I think by two thousand eight, I think they were. Okay, so he he has been there. Now, I've been to 
I, the ECW arena in its prime, you know, I was there in 1995, 1996, 19-year-old Joe Lanza driving down there in his 1989 Camaro. Picture that one, all right, going down to the ECW arena. I've been in the Manhattan Center for wrestling shows. Uh, I've been to Madison Square Garden. So I've been in a lot of buildings like that. So I know what you're talking about when you say you feel like you're in – it's like three hours of wrestling nirvana. This is, this is where the vibe is. Right. I'll never forget going to the ECW. That, those, are, those are memories that will be burned in me forever. Those are still to this day uh, my hey, favorite – I saw a CZW show in the ECW arena. All right, I got confused. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I don't even know how to respond to that. But uh, I definitely would like to get out to Reseda one day, and I would definitely like to get out. You know, my 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 my, my one dream mecca though, I gotta get out to Corican Hall. Before I die, I am gonna sit in Corican Hall and watch a wrestling show, and I'm probably gonna drag Rich out there with me. I'm down. <laughs> drag so Rich when it comes in for this episode. Please let us know, Jerome, so we can uh, drag Rich in your carry-on luggage. I can fit. I can, I'm a very. I'm not flexible at all. No, that would not. No, that wouldn't work. <laughs> so we've talked about PWG and how awesome it was. Do, do we want to go up the Chikara tree, or do we want to stay away from Oh, that? hell yeah, we want to. Oh, God. Oh, yes. no. I, I know you guys pledged to never talk about Chikara ever again. God, our we, podcast. We, we, <laughs> I've never, never we, said anything about yours. Yeah, the other thing is, we broke that pledge literally on the next show. I so. think, yeah, so. That didn't so just last. like wrestling, you guys cannot uphold the stipulations. <laughs> no, no, oh, Absolutely yeah. not. All right, Joe, I, I'm going to go to you first because I know you love Chikara so much. But well, here's, the, here's the thing. I'm not going to bury Chikara. Um, I watched their season finale, and I had no problems with it. It was a, it was a nice little wrestling show. Like everybody, I thought the Dev Corp versus um, – who they face for the uh, – Throwbacks. That match Robax. was awesome. Excellent match. Wasn't even my favorite match on the show. I really enjoyed – the uh, Ashley Remington versus um, uh, Juan Francisco de Coronado, who's my favorite Chikara wrestler, by the way. And I'm very upset that he got rid of the manservant uh, to wipe down the ropes and whatnot because I, I always pop for that. But their little uh, German suplex gimmick match that they did there, I, that was my favorite match in the show. I think both of those guys uh, bring a lot to the table, especially Remington. I think, I think Ring of Honor, you know, he's in their top prospect tournament coming up. They're going to – listen, you might have more insight than me. I don't – see any way that they're letting that guy slip through that thing without booking him further. I mean, uh, the problem is that he's Dalton. When he's Dalton Castle, he's kind of eh. But when he's smooth sailing, Ashley, I mean, Ashley Remington is awesome. This guy. But here's the thing. In Ring of Honor, it's okay to be eh. Because it's, it's kind of a different. But are they going to let him be like, because the thing about Chikara is, and for all the criticism about Chikara, when Ashley Remington is there, Everybody is selling the fact that he is this smooth sailing character. You've got Bryce Remsburg fawning over him. You've got wrestlers fawning over him. You've got the commentators putting the gimmick over. It is a total effort to get this guy over as this character. And I think that is a testament to what Chikara can do when it's at its best. To take a Dalton Castle, who nobody gives a flying fuck about, and turn him into this character. And immediately... He's, like, within three months, he's one of the most over people in that entire company. I mean, that that is that is unheard of for a lot of wrestling companies. And they did it with a guy who's basically been, like, a sort of a journeyman indie wrestler. You know, if they could only do that for Arctic Rescue Ants and uh, Mr. Azerbaijan <laughs> and, and, uh, and and the Estonian Thunderfrog, then they'd, uh, then they'd really be on something. Actually, didn't they kill about half of those characters off? They, they killed a bunch of characters. But I will say, Missile Assault Ant has actually started to get better, and I think they're very interested in him specifically because of how – I mean, that's the thing is that 
a lot of these guys are so young and so green and not wrestling is that eventually when they start to actually know what the hell they're doing, you really see the improvement and you you can't give up on these guys because you're seeing guys who are, who haven't had 30 matches yet. I mean, any wrestler hasn't had 30 matches yet is going to be absolutely terrible, but eventually they start to get better and the roster starts to get a little better. And you end up with, I mean, Fire Ant is a guy who I think is really, really outstanding. But if you watch Fire Ant in 2006, he's not very good. But in 2015, he's really outstanding. And the same thing for the Devastation, I mean, the Devastation Corporation as well. When they were first in Wrestling is Fun, they were brutally bad. And now, I mean, Max Smashmaster lost a ton of weight. Uh, Blaster McMassive, I mean, he's a very fast guy and he can move very well. I mean, that team has improved a ton since they first debuted. So, Chikars, they're good at cultivating talent. I think the biggest problem with them this year was their storytelling. But, Agreed. I mean, they they there's still the potential for them to develop talent. That's one thing they can still do, I think, better than a lot of indies and a lot of people would give them credit for. Yeah, and I, I'm right there with you. I think a lot of the issues that I had with Jakar at the beginning of the year was that it was sort of a shock to the system to see what they had sort of become after the after the shutdown. They had come back, and 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 the story. I was I've never really been invested in the story, and 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 I know a lot of people do love it. To me, it's just I I, I can never believe. Really? I don't want Jimmy Jacobs and Eddie Kingston running the, you know Ruck Shaw over your company or or, or helping. I it just just those two guys. I don't want them. I, I just I, I I don't want them. You know anywhere near a top top storyline. But there is that sort of, you know, where I was going at is it was so shocking to see what the roster had become post-shutdown, that it was just, as you said, it looked like a wrestling is fun show, and it was just shocking to see, oh, crap, like, this is what the roster is, plus Jimmy J, you know, there was a few of the holdovers that stayed, but it was just complete destruction, and and I think even even now in December, even watching their most recent shows, it's gotten a lot better because those guys are getting time now. Those guys are really getting a chance to develop and become better wrestlers because at the beginning of the year, or you know, whenever they, you know, when their first few shows back, it was shocking how green all these guys were. And like you said, these are guys, these are trainees that are out there and are in important matches. And Shakara has always been really good about building young guys up, but those guys have always been at the beginning, the first few matches or whatever. This card, that, that one, and, and Jerome, you were there with me in Chicago. Up and down that card, it was like, oh, my God, these guys have Legitimately the one of the worst that wrestling shows that I've ever been to. Right, because it was like, God, like if you counted all the fans in this, we probably have the same amount of wrestling matches that these guys have in the, in the ring. It's just, it's unbelievable how green every single, the next guy that came out was like, oh, my God, oh, my, like, who are I'd these rather, guys? Yeah, you know, where it was unbelievable. I'd rather see bad wrestling than good uh, charades. You know what I mean? I, I You guys bought a wrestling ticket, and you saw charades and thumb wrestling. Which... Right, because they knew that these guys couldn't go, and every match was like five minutes long because these guys couldn't go, and it was that that was very shocking to the system. And I think it's gotten it's gotten a lot better, and I think they, they've sort of – there was a lot of really, really dumb, silly characters, and I know that's a Shakara thing. And I, and I think there's a difference between a dumb, silly character – and as you said, and Ashley Remington is in – at its core, a really dumb character, but when it's done well and done serious and everybody takes it serious, that's what make that's the Chikara charm is that the character is a little fun, but that everybody takes it super serious. There was a time where they were just trotting out whatever. It was literally, hey, this would be funny, let's do that. You know what I mean? And there wasn't enough. It was like 1995 WWF. Exactly. Like, like, I want a magician. Let's have a magician. Like, you really need to think these things out. And Ashley Remington is one that's absolutely thought out. The Devastation Corporation is a silly gimmick. It's it's, it's really silly, and it's it's completely, it should be a joke, but the 
fact that everybody takes it as serious and there's the guys that are playing it are so good at doing it. That's the key. And I think that was the problem with Shakara and, and it's getting better. And hopefully it gets better in the next year is that you had a lot of really just dumb characters and you had a bunch of kids that had no idea what they were doing. These kids already had 20, 30 matches and are told, Hey, this is your intricate character that you have to do. And you have, you know, you, I know you've only wrestled 20 times now go in front of, you know, 600 people or whatever. And it was, it was, it was, it was not good. You know, you know, you know what a though? Really a, lot of, shows. a lot of these characters, you're right, are, are, are students from the wrestle factory, but not all of them. I mean, I, you know, it's pretty interesting that Chuck Taylor worked in Spire Pro Wrestling this past Sunday, as did Mr. Azerbaijan. So let's not pretend that these are all. <laughs> they are two totally different people. So. K five. Let, yeah. Let's let's not pretend that these Mr. are. Salt Ant there too or no? The, no, no. Mr. Yes, Salt he knows those two guys, so I thought, okay, yeah, no. no. So. They ride together. Chuck Taylor is and has never and will never be an ant. Just <laughs> for the record. Rich has been so wrong before on mass wrestlers, so don't worry about it. I, I, I never try to guess until I have a reasonable idea. There are a couple of guys that I'm able to spot right away because of tattoos and right, right. style, but it's it, you know it's it's not worth it sometimes either. But yeah, so that's uh, that's Chikara. Uh For you guys, uh, is there a company or a wrestler that on the independent scene that you wish you had seen more of last year and hope to see more of this year? Uh, Rick, I'll let you go first. I think with me, and it's it's a local promotion that I only got to two of the shows this year. But but you know, sort of looking at you know those two shows were you know two of my best independent shows that I've been to in, in a number of years, and that's Dreamwave Wrestling out of LaSalle, Illinois, who just continues to do just great booking. Um, they, they get a lot of the really good talent that I don't know. I don't know how they make any money. There's no way they make money on these shows because they, they're guys are coming from all across the country to go to the, the LaSalle, Illinois, and, and I, when I say it's in the middle of nowhere, like I really mean like. And Jerome, you've you've made the trek there before. I mean, I am not. I, I have, no, I have actually never been there before. Oh, when I say middle of nowhere, like it, it, it's it, it's out there. It's way out there, and, and it's a card that they put together good cards. Um, the the crowd's pretty decent there. It's just to my, in my opinion, it's it's one that I don't get enough chance to go out to. I, I it, it's hard to make that drive because it's it's a big drive. It, it's it's. It's far, but it's one that I definitely, in this next year, want to make an effort to go out there and more. Because every time I watch, you know, the digital downloads, you know, we even have, a, we have, I think, three or four Dreamwave matches that are getting voted on for our match of the year ballot or whatever. And they're ones that I haven't even seen. And they're not even the ones that I went and saw that I thought were really good matches, too. So that leads me to believe there's a lot here that I'm not seeing or not watching. And, and you know, you hear live reports from people that are at the shows. And, and, and they're, they're getting good talent. They're getting the best of the Midwest independent talent. And in some cases, best of kind of national talent. I mean, the Bucks were there this year. You know, Johnny Gargano's there regularly. You know, Ricochet has been there. I saw Rich Swan. I saw much. I mean, they, they get good talent to go there. And I, I think that's in my, that's one of my goals for this year is to just see a lot more of them because I really don't think I saw enough last year. Go ahead, Joe. I'd like to see more, uh, Dragon Gate USA. Uh, but, uh, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Is this what uh, I was going to ask Jerome a question, or... No, no, no. Let me tell you, uh, Mr. Jerome, I got enough insight on this one myself. In fact, I wrote an entire article about this, and uh, the man in charge told me that 5% of my article was going to turn out to be correct, and when, in fact, 95% of it turned out to be correct. Not that I'm too... So we're going to put that in the Joe but, Anza um, was right column. Yeah, 95% of it, yeah. But, but um, yeah, but seriously... You look at 2014, they had that disastrous WrestleMania weekend. Uh, oh, can we talk about that for a second? Absolutely. Bad. Really, that Evolve show, still bad. I mean, just, we're talking like disastrous levels of bad here with that Evolve show. And with, I, I think that WWN 
tarnished their WrestleMania reputation for, on that weekend. If if the year before hadn't done it, I really think significant damage was done. Uh, because if you remember their January shows, their January shows were really, really outstanding. And then they come to WrestleMania and they basically screwed the pooch again. I mean, they had the same problem in New Jersey uh, with that disastrous Evolve show that had iPay-Per-View problems. Uh, they were running late, and a lot of people who bought both Evolve and Ring of Honor tickets were pissed uh, because they basically had to leave before the Young Bucks match. Um, and then, you know, last year you had the Evolve show that had like a 45-minute intermission, a lot of booking problems, and then the Dragon Gate USA shows did not have a single Dragon Gate talent. And on the third night, Teddy Hart and his cat were there. <laughs> it's Rain Cats. Uh, Teddy Hart and his cat were there on on two of the nights. The the, the they were uh, the, the the big surprise on 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 the first Dragon Gate USA show. I think it was that was the one where I was stuck outside in the rain and Gabe had to come let me in because his credit card machine wasn't working. And then on uh, then he was part of the uh, the 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 awful trios tournament that they had on the next night, wasn't he? Because he uh, it was Chuck Taylor by himself because his his. Uh, his partners had turned on him. Oh yes, you're right, right. Yeah, and then Teddy Hart was one oh, of the depressed, depressed Chuck Hart who wouldn't, or, uh, Chuck Taylor who wouldn't, uh, who wouldn't go against the ropes. Like he got Irish whipped, and didn't he just like stop? That was the was worst match. That was the worst match of the year. I'm voting that worst match of the year. Uh, I think Biff Busick came out to team with him. Oh, that was that shit show, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, and then Teddy Hart came out, but then Teddy Hart turned on Chuck Taylor. The thing was just a complete disaster, and uh, yeah, that whole weekend was a disaster. Uh, it was the last Dragon Gate USA show, branded show that they ran all year. The only native Dragon Gate Japanese talent that worked a Dragon Gate USA show the entire year was Yosuke Santa Maria. And he or she or whatever the hell you want to refer Listen, I don't know the right PC explanation. Uh, whatever. And the only reason he was on that show was it was as a surprise replacing the people that were pulled from the show. And I believe that was a show in February that they ran in New York City. So one Japanese, actual Japanese Dragon Gate talent worked Dragon Gate USA all year, and it was Yosuke Santa Maria. And, 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 and the New York fans, uh, a good portion of them, uh, through all sorts of, you know, I don't, transphobic, I guess you would call it. I don't want, I guess it's not homophobic. I get transphobic slurs towards the character because they didn't understand it. So from that perspective, absolute disaster for Dragon Gate USA. Uh, supposedly it's still quote unquote on hiatus. I used to love Dragon Gate USA. I used to love me some Dragon Gate USA. Oh, yeah. So did Rich. We used to spend a lot of time on the show talking. That was the Dragon hallmark of our early shows and our early, the early website was covering Dragon Gate USA. I mean, we, we did so much of it. And it just it just has ceased to exist. And um, you know the one gle- I will say the one you know there 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 were two bright spots WrestleMania weekend for Gabe and and Gabe shows. One was the outstanding Chris Hero Masato Tanaka match that was put together at the last minute. I was there live. Those guys fucking killed it. That was a tremendous match. And then later on that night, the uh, Ricochet uh, Johnny Gargano title switch was was another tremendous match. Told a great full one-year story for Johnny mm-hmm. Gargano. And uh, so those two matches did deliver the rest of the weekend. I think even Gabe himself would tell you that the rest of that weekend was an absolute disaster. Yeah, it's very unfortunate because, I mean, WrestleMania weekend is such an opportunity uh, for these guys. And it just it just feels like they really blew it these last two weekends. And it's really sad because... Instead of walking away from that weekend talking about two match of the year contenders, 
we're talking about the attendance. We're talking about the fact that there were no Japanese talent. I mean, it's just – it's a shame. Yeah, and the year, you're right because the year before was the awful Evolve tournament and all of the iPay-Per-View issues. So it, it, it was two, two years of, of really dropping the ball. So we'll see what happens this year, especially with this King of Indies tournament, you know, supposedly that's going to happen. Um, but one of the good things the WWN had going for it is the fact that they were able to run China. And I think a lot of people feel that this was maybe an unheralded aspect of the news this year. I mean, we're talking about a company that was able to draw 2,500 people, 10,000 people. Uh, so what do you guys think of the fact that WWN, of all companies, was able to really make a stand in a, uh, in a relatively uh, virgin market for wrestling? Well, the, the Beijing show, I mean, what was the official paid attendance for that? It had to be close to 10,000, right? It was, I thought it was near 10. Yeah, I don't have the number in front of me. But, yeah, it was. Um, I, people were throwing around 10,000. Like, it wasn't really a joke like that. If, but, I, yeah. if I had told you that a WWN show was going to draw 10,000 fans, if I would have told you that like six months ago, you, you literally would have laughed me out of the room. So, yeah, this China thing really is a big deal, and they did close whatever deal they had to close out there with whatever investors they had to close it with. So they are going back, and this could be, uh, like Jerome said, one of the underreported stories of the year because this could be a, a really big deal. This could put WWN, if it all works out, and they, they managed to win those fans over because, you know, they're – a lot of reports that the fans didn't really understand what pro wrestling was all about. Some were happy with it. Some were confused. Some weren't happy with it. But if this thing works and they draw again when they go back and this proves to be a success moving forward, they're in the conversation, uh, you know, for that, you know, that mythical number two spot that people – because no one's touching WWE. That's just – they're so far ahead of the pack. They're even so far ahead of New Japan that's not even worth talking about. But, they, you know, WWN Live would be right in the conversation. This is a really big deal that – it's amazing to me that Gabe Sapolsky and Sal broke into China before WWE did and before Dana White did. It was it was Gabe Sapolsky who broke into China first. And, <laughs> how did how did he do it? And Vince I mean, McMahon, my God. And Vince McMahon's son is there. And 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 no, he's in Japan. Except for uh, well, don't tell Vince. Vince Vince does not know. Vince McMahon does not know where Shane. He keeps he, every time he goes to Japan, he keeps looking for Shane and can't find him. So. Maybe that explains why they haven't. Maybe Vince <laughs> legitimately thinks he's in, in Japan. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's just amazing to me that they broke into China first. And you're right. This really has been an underreported story. And, and to be fair, I mean, we've, you know, I think we've done a pretty good job of it on PWP, but like, I'm talking about like the big sites, like PW Insider and the yeah. Torch and the Observer. I mean, this to me, that they should have been over this a little bit more. And I'm not saying they need to sit down and watch all the shows, but I mean, this is, well, regardless of what you think of China, that, that's billions of people that, and that is also a market where you're not, you don't have the embittered pro wrestling fans like Joe Lanza and me sitting there with our arms folded and we've seen it all and we hate everything. I mean, these are fans that, you know, really are, are could potentially be built in as like true quote unquote marks. And yeah, it, it was fascinating to watch those shows. I, I, I know Joe and I reviewed them when, when they were going on or we kind of talked about them because we watched them and it was fascinating to see what they reacted to. It was so different than, I mean, the wrestlers didn't even know how to adjust either. It was like, everyone's doing all these flips and everyone's sitting there and then they realize, wait, let's do like a, a headlock or let me like yell at the ref and the fans are going nuts and they're going, I mean, like it was so funny to see it just sort of, 
I, I, not regressed, but it's sort of right back to where, you know, wrestling in this country was, you know, 50 years ago, 60, 70 years. Like, it was incredible. It was so fascinating to watch. And I think it was a very underreported story. I think you're absolutely on the ball. I mean, you, you know, it, it was mentioned in the Wrestling Observer, but it was like a paragraph or two or whatever. But it could be a, a potentially revolutionary thing that, that, that WWN Live did this year. And I, I think we might even look back at this year and go, geez, why did we not – you know, why was this not a bigger deal? Because, like, yeah, as you said, there are billions of people, and they're the company. They're the one. We, they're in. We were, we were it's getting unbelievable. Mess- we were getting messages from our top secret sources uh, while that tour was going on that it would that the that in the beginning of the tour the wrestlers were shocked that a lot of the you know the crazy you, know, you had people like Ricochet and and Ar Fox in that tour doing all of this state of the art flying and none of it was getting over and by the end of the tour they had totally had to scale down their style and wrestle like it was 1950 uh, just to because the the, the fa- these like you had mentioned these fans are just complete blank slates. Uh, they didn't understand, uh, you know, it was, it was almost as if, if, if you would have sent Ricochet and A.R. Fox in a time machine, uh, to work a show in 1947, and that's what this is like, because these people had never seen pro wrestling before, so that, 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 that tour ending show in Beijing, it was fascinating to see the stuff that was getting over. Simple things that never work anymore, like, the heel bluffing a handshake and then kicking the baby face in the gut <laughs> was getting like insane reactions. The I mean, count out teases got reactions. Yes, and 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 my favorite one of all, I think it was Jody Christopherson. Is that the name he goes under for WWN? Jody yes, Christopherson. Yes. Okay, uh, it, my favorite one of all is 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 after one of the matches, he was he was a heel. He chased the referee to the back. <laughs> and the fans just they, they they got such a kick out of that. They could they couldn't believe Joe Anza, we have finally found a company for Kim Cornette to book. <laughs> oh, he would love it. Oh my god, yeah. It's amazing to me. They couldn't they were incensed that this athlete was would dare chase an official. They couldn't believe their eyes. They they, they just the way they were gasping at Christopherson chasing the referee into the it, but think about it. If we were at a basketball game and Kobe Bryant chased the referee into the locker room. We would have the same reaction, and that's that's really how you have to look at it. It would be like if it would be like if that you know that Dallas Detroit game this weekend, if if you know where where Detroit got screwed on the holding call that never if if, if Sue would have went after the referee. Like it's the same thing. I can totally. I don't think people would have been laughing at that though. <laughs> It's like it's it, it, it was unfathomable to them that the athlete would do that. They were just like you said, they're total marks. It's it really was that was a, that was easily the most fascinating show to watch of the year uh, for me, uh, based on that aspect. I would have loved to have been there live just to be surrounded by people who have no idea what's going on. I mean, that's... yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I have no interest in going to China. I mean, nope. I, I heard Gabe on uh, he, he was on with Brian Alvarez on um, Wrestling Observer Live or whatever the show is called that Dave doesn't participate in. Um, figure four daily. Figure four daily. Yeah, there you go. And and Gabe was saying how it was five star accommodations and they couldn't have been treated any better. Listen, we heard completely different things. We heard that the wrestlers couldn't wait to get the hell out of China because they hated the food. They hated the hotels. They hated not having Internet. They hated that their phones didn't work. So that could be something to keep an eye on, too. Um, you know, money solves everything. If they're going to go out there and make big money, I think they'll deal with, you know,
know, a bad plate of uh, of General Tso's chicken or whatever, whatever they're eating. I'm sure they're not eating that. I don't think they're eating <laughs> In China, that might be American Chinese food for it all I know. It is indeed American Chinese food. You know, they might deal with the fact that they can't play Candy Crush on their phone for a couple days if they're making big money. But, um, you know, we definitely heard different than what Gabe was selling on that show in terms of, at least from the talent's point of view, at least from those cranky millennials who couldn't uh, text message every 10 minutes. You're, you're saying that Gabe misled us? Joe, is that what you're telling me? Listen, 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 I actually, I actually like Gabe for all his faults. And even though we kind of had a bumpy road with him this year and he kind of gave us shit for a lot of different things. I still understand the man. And I listen, he clearly has, because he hasn't charged you yet for the, uh, the DG USA show. (laughs) That's right. He saved you from the rain. No, you know, and he, he wrote Joe's credit card info on a napkin and never charged him. So he he I, he still has not charged me. He did take down my credit. He did make sure that <laughs> he's got it. The best part is is that in two days after this podcast comes out, Joe's going to get a charge <laughs> on his credit card. <laughs> Listen, he 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 was too busy uh, with the poor girl who was crying about Teddy Hart's cat. Because that's when he got, you know, we were in the lobby and this, this woman was crying about Teddy Hart's cat. And, uh, because she felt that the cat w- had to have been drugged to have been, and, and Gabe assured this, this woman that the cat was a professional performer, a trained professional performer, and that she didn't have to worry about the cat being drugged or any nefarious means to have been used. So, uh, maybe that's why he never charged me. Maybe he lost the napkin because he got sidetracked by the woman who was crying about Teddy Carhart's cat. So, uh, who knows? But, uh, uh either way, I, I like the guy. I, I just, you know, you're not always going to agree or get along with people that you like. Yeah, I don't have to agree with someone all the time to like them. But just, and, and listen, he has his faults. We talked about Michael Elgin being thin-skinned. I think that's a pretty fair criticism of Gabe sometimes, uh, to put it lightly. But, um, you know, I listen, I'll let you – I've ripped enough people. You rip Gabe if you want. I don't hate Gabe. Like, hate is such a strong word. And I really think is. he's he's done – more than enough in the world of independent wrestling where you can't totally bag it. I mean, I mean, you look at those, those years that he was booking ring of honor and a lot, you know, I'm sure some of it had to do with the talent, but I mean, can anyone really argue with how good ring of honor was in 2005, six and seven? I mean, those are, those are legendary years in the world of indie wrestling and would ring of honor be where it's at. If not for what Gabe did in those early years. And, you know, obviously, you know, even Rob Feinstein, God forbid, but, you can't totally bag on him, but it just and if this kind of thing goes through, it's it's a it's a big credit to him because he's sort of the first one, and WWE obviously hasn't done it, and no one else has done it, so it's it would be a huge deal for him, and we'll see what happens next year. I think uh, we're all I think we're all rooting for it. I mean, I think we all want to see that. We kind want of thing we want wrestlers to get paid. Yeah. <laughs> We and I mean, and, and I'd throat. love for them to be successful. I'd, I'd love for them to run full time and be awesome and do great things in China. And I completely agree with you. That era of Ring of Honor is arguably my favorite era of all time. Around. I went yep. to countless shows. I went to 20, 30, every show that hit Philly, New York, or Jersey, I was there. And I thought he was the best booker in the world during that period. And, um, you know, so I completely agree with those thoughts as well. Joe, are there any real any companies that will, might actually run shows in 2015 that you would like to see more of, or based on some buzz that you've heard and things like that? Um, I mean, I watch everything, man. So it's hard to say. <laughs> I, 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 I really, you know, what I would really like to sink my teeth into that I haven't because I really don't understand it 
is Beyond Wrestling. I don't understand Beyond Wrestling because every time I watch Beyond Wrestling, it's in what appears to be a wrestling school, and there's no fans there, and it's just other wrestlers politely clapping for the wrestlers that are in the ring. And that entire vibe is weird to me, and it completely takes me out of the show. They're actually not doing that as much. Okay, and, and I also hear that they have secret shows, which, from my point of view, I just don't understand. That blows my mind. I mean, why would you not tell people you're having a show so you can draw some money? I, I, the whole concept of Beyond Wrestling is just lost on me to the point of confusion. And I think I'm a Well, they actually do, like, they run regular shows now at the, at the, uh, the FET in Providence, Rhode Island. So, and, you know, they're using, they used a lot of Ring of Honor talent this year. They're using a lot of up-and-comers. They're using a, just a ton of people that you would have heard of or if not outright loved. So, I mean, Michael Elgin was a huge part of Beyond Wrestling this year. And, um, you know, if you're going to give them a chance, definitely buy the FET shows. Uh, you can buy them on Smartmark Video now. So if you're looking for a Beyond Wrestling experience that isn't a quote-unquote secret show or uh, in a wrestling school, those are definitely the ones that I think you want to check out. I, I think I will do that because I hear nothing but praise. And it seems like, you know, they do a lot of stuff that I would dig. So that's probably one promotion that I'll be looking forward to sinking my teeth into. Yeah, and I'm, I'm in the same way. I, I, I watch those shows, but it's, it's just a weird vibe. I have trouble kind of getting into the matches when it's just kind of the wrestlers clapping and all that stuff. And they're really good matches. I mean, they're really I, – I enjoy every one that I watch, but it's hard to really – I don't want to watch more than that one match. Like somebody will send me that YouTube link, I watch it, and it's cool, and, and then I'm kind of done with it. But I would like to check out their more, you know, traditional shows a lot, definitely. Yeah, the best shows would definitely be for you guys. Okay, cool. I will check that out then. See, I, I've been following Beyond Wrestling since before Beyond Wrestling was even a company, so I sort of understand exactly, you know, what Drew was going for. You know, when they didn't really, he didn't really have the money to put this out there, and you know, he just wanted to have. Um, these weekends where wrestlers could sort of network with each other. And that's sort of the purpose of beyond wrestling. It started in Cleveland, Ohio, and then he moved back to Providence and it became more of a new England thing uh, than a Midwest thing. And it's, uh, it's really grown in the last couple of years. The fact that, um, you know, he is able to cultivate a lot of uh, his fan base on YouTube, which a lot of other wrestling companies are starting to follow suit now and putting yeah. more content up there. I mean, Beyond Wrestling, they have one of the most popular wrestling YouTubes um, in the world. I think if you look I, legitimately, I think they have like ten or 15,000 subscribers. So that speaks to sort of the consistency and the quality. And, you know, I agree with you to an extent. I think it's really tough to watch wrestling without fans. But I think for people who are looking to sample a product – or for people who are looking to sample wrestlers, it has obviously made a huge difference for a lot of people. Biff Busick is a guy who I had never heard of until I started watching him in Beyond Wrestling. Uh, the same goes for a guy like JT Dunn, and you know, there's a host of others, and I think he's used guys like Michael Elgin really well, and uh, Michael Bennett. I think he's used Michael Bennett really well, and I think a lot of people don't like him, but I think he's done some uh, some very good stuff there. And Kimberly. Um, is arguably the uh, the MVP of that promotion, and regardless of what you think of intergender wrestling, I mean Kimberly has has made a name for herself by wrestling, you know, someone like Drew Gulak and Silver Ant, and you know, so many other so many other really good wrestlers, male and female. So can I yeah. can I can I defend myself a little bit on that? I, very quickly? I don't want to get in depth on this or anything like that. That was not directed at you necessarily. I know I know it wasn't, but I feel like I need to say this because I feel like this podcast will be reaching 
Uh, look, my audience, our audience understands where I stand on intergender wrestling. They understand it better than, than, than some of the people who think that I'm this evil, you know, misogynist person. And, uh, you know, and as a result that our site is that way. I have nothing against the idea of intergender wrestling. Nothing at all. Uh, and people who, who listen to our show understand that. Um, I just don't feel like intergender wrestling is something that needs to be pushed on every promoter, something that everybody needs to do, something that everybody needs to accept. I don't believe in that. I believe in pro wrestling. Promoters should promote whatever is going to make them the most money. And if they don't think intergender wrestling is going to make them money, they should not be forced or pressured to promote intergender wrestling just to satisfy uh, some fanaticals who believe in gen- who believe strongly in gender politics. That's my stance. I, do, I am not opposed to intergender wrestling. I don't see intergender wrestlings come on the TV or, or, or come on when I'm watching a show and turn my back on it or roll my eyes or anything else. And I've seen plenty of intergender wrestling matches that were just fine and I thought were good matches. Uh, but I just don't feel like this idea that it needs to be pushed on every promotion and promoters are evil if they don't conform form to, uh, to, 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 to the latest fad of internet. That's total nonsense. That's the bullshit that I don't like. I have nothing I against, think, inherently think, against intergender wrestling. So I, I just want to make that clear. A wrestling company should always bring in talent and do matches because it makes sense for them, not because they're trying to make a, a political statement. If you're doing it to make a political statement, you're, you're really defeating the purpose. Pro wrestling, I mean, this is... It's it's people fake fighting everyone. It's it, we're not going to make a social statement by having two people fake fighting each other. I don't think that that that's ever been true. And there are certainly times that I think the behavior towards um, you know women has been very poor, particularly you know in WWE and I think to a certain extent Ring of Honor. But you know I think when you look at Candice LeRae in PWG, she is arguably one of the most over people in that company. So having her do matches against men makes a ton of sense. Putting her in the ring with someone like Adam Cole, who is someone that we can all agree is also an outstanding pro wrestler, it makes sense within the context of PWG. If they did it in Ring of Honor, it would make zero sense and would serve no purpose whatsoever. When Kimberly gets in the ring with someone like Drew Gulak in Beyond Wrestling, you know, Drew Gulak had a hand in training Kimberly. So there's, there's some context there. It would make yeah. sense. For Kimberly and Drew Gulak to have a match. Heidi Lovelace and uh, Matt Cage in AEW. You know, there was a purpose. There was a chemistry there. You know, they had a match that people received very well. So AEW logically decided to do it again, put it in the main event of a show, and it made, and all three of those occasions it made sense. But if Ring of Honor all of a sudden tomorrow decided to say we're going to do an intergender match, it would make no sense because they haven't had a women's division consistently in their entire 14-year existence. I listen. We're pretty much on the same page. Yeah, and and that's why I remember when Lucha Underground did it. It sort of seemed like they were okay. We, this is our first few episodes. We have to have an inner. And it didn't. The story. I mean, it's now the story's now made a little bit more sense. But when it happened initially, it was. It seemed very much of hey, this is the craze. So let's just do it. And there was no context to it. There's no reason for it. And that's wrestling with, with wrestling without context. Wrestling without reason is still. You said it's still fake fighting, but there's still a reason why you need to have some level of context, some level of reason, some level of that, or else it's just it's just madness then that it's just then there's nothing there and that that's that was one of the big arguments throughout the the year too and that's not simply talking about you know how intergen wrestling has worked you know in the match sense because that's a whole different argument for a different day but of just 
I, my biggest issue is, and and, and I've enjoyed I, I that Matt Cage Heidi Lovelace. I I loved all three of those matches that I saw, and 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 every Heidi Lovelace intergender match that I've watched is great. And my favorite intergender is when you can just do it and you don't have to say you're doing it. You know what I mean? Where it's not look at what we're doing. We're doing intergender wrestling. That is a hundred percent against the purpose. I think AEW actually does it very very. Right, they just fucking do it. They don't say, oh my god, here look at what we're doing. Like oh here it is. Like it's just. Hey, here's an. I mean, it, it, it's just like it's any other match on the card, and that's it. That's all it should be. But when it's the hey, everybody, stop and look at how you know awesome we're being by doing this. That's when you completely defeat the purpose, and then now you, you've completely changed what 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 it should be all all about, and what 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 the real again, what the purpose of it is. So yeah, there is a small subset of people in the wrestling media and a small subset of wrestling fans who truly believe it's the responsibility of wrestling promoters to promote intergender wrestling for the purposes of, uh, you know, gender politics. That's the stuff that bugs me. I, I, I'm not – listen, it, it's a promoter's responsibility to promote what makes money, period. That's all. I agree. Joe Lanza and I, I – I, we <laughs> could not agree more on this. So that's, that's good. Anyway, so um, – Rich, I, I know you had a list of topics that you maybe wanted to bring up, so I will turn this over to you. And what would you like to discuss? Um, I, I think just I, – I, I don't believe I did have a list, but that's all right. I'll, you you I'll, seem I'll, to imply that you had, like, some things that you wanted to tick uh, off. No, I mean, I think one of the things that, that I'm, I'm very interested in is the in-ring quality of this year. And I don't know if it's it's tied to accessibility, but but as we're doing the, our, our sort of our match of the year countdown – I'm seeing a ton of independent wrestling is popping up there. I, I tried to count earlier. I think something like 10 different promotions are, 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 are listed. And I know last year we had a ton as well. But, I mean, this point we only have 21 ballots in and already have that, that number of independent wrestling from all over. I mean, there's we have Shimmer. We have an Omega match. We have Dreamwave. We have, you know, it, 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 the list goes on. AEW, AIW, all these different ones that are on there. Ring, you know, obviously Ring of Honor. IWA of course we do. Mid-South. Uh, yeah, IWA Mid South is another one that we have. It, it, to me, it's fascinating, and I don't know if it's tied to what I mentioned in my original part of the accessibility, or if we're just starting to get to a level where it, it for a while there, independent wrestling was sort of gutted by by talent. You know. It, Acquisitions, you know, every a lot of the big top guys were going to TNA, they were going to WWE, they were going here. A lot of them, I mean, I think I we were sort of waiting for that next wave of talent. Are we there? Or is it an accessibility thing? I think that's that's something that I'm not entirely positive. I of, think it of. might be accessibility. I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. I also think some of it might be disenchantment with WWE. I mean, you could argue that in the first six months, WWE had a bunch of match of the year contenders. But in the second half of the year, there were not a lot of matches except for Brock Lesnar and John Cena from SummerSlam that I think were knocking the doors down. Uh, TNA, I don't think as TNA, I, I, what what's the balloting like for TNA and match of the year? Uh, not good. <laughs> not so, and that's another thing. Good that's at a, all. That's Ma- Full Metal Mayhem will 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 make a splash. That is probably it. There's what so far we have one match. And it is not Full Metal Mayhem. Oh yeah, it's the uh, okay. Are you looking yeah. at the form, Rich? I have. I am. Yeah, I looked at it right now. Yeah. So. so I think part of it is that I think maybe I, like I said the 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 accessibility is obviously a huge factor. Maybe it's the way you're, the people that you're pooling. Maybe it's a bigger pool of people that you're talking to. There's a there's infinite number of factors that come into why you have more independent matches. But you know I I don't know. I just feel it just seems to me like there is increased disenchantment with WWE week by week. 
That's the sense that I'm getting. And I'm not sure if that has, I'm not sure if that translates into people taking a chance on independent wrestling or taking a chance on Wrestle Kingdom, but it just seems like people more than ever, as we sit here, are ready for something else. You know, I think one thing, though, I think is there is a huge opportunity right now for the current crop of young independent wrestlers, for for a few of them to step up and truly become stars. Because you look at the top draws in independent wrestling this year, the first third of the year or so, it was Chris Hero. Uh, Then you have the Young Bucks. They draw wherever they go. The Hardys uh, have drawn very well on the independent scene. AJ Styles, once he was released from TNA, was a top indie draw. Uh, Ricochet is a top indie. But if you look at those pe- all those people I'm naming, what is the common denominator with all of those? If they're all major league acts that occasionally work in indie. Um, they're not true independent wrestlers at this point. Uh, we talked about Ricochet. He signed up with AAA. Uh, obviously, AJ Styles and the Young Bucks are New Japan wrestlers. The Hardys were on WWE TV for 15 years and, and you know, are TNA wrestlers. Uh, so, you know, you know, Chris Hero would be really the only guy. And, and, and there's really an opportunity here for young independent wrestlers to step up. And we talked about maybe Michael Elgin is a guy who dropped the ball and, and missed his opportunity to become that. Next big indie thing because you know WWE really did farm through the indies the last two years and scooped up the Kevin Steens and the El Genericos and all those guys who were the stars on the independent scene. So you know, I, I you know if these guys if these wrestlers are listening, step up. This is your chance to make your mark and fill those voids that have been created because those top guys now are all really you know they they should be threatened by the fact. That people like the Young Bucks and AJ Styles and uh, and and uh, these people that I just named come in and are headlining uh, their shows because those aren't independent wrestlers in the truest form. These independent wrestlers should be hungry to 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 prove themselves and to become draws on their own, so that promoters don't have to go out there and pay the Young Bucks to come in and headline a show. So there is an opportunity for these guys to step up, and they you know they they they, they should they should be hungry and they should be insulted that these that these major league acts are coming in and taking their spots. So this is a weird sort of transition period. It's a it's a it's a huge opportunity for so many people to go up and grab that. I'm not going to say it. Oh no! Oh, I was almost I was going to delete you from this conversation but, if you had but, said it. I teased it, but I didn't go there. But you see what I'm saying? There's definitely an opportunity there. And, uh, and, 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 I, and it's interesting to see. I mean, someone's going to step up and fill those voids. I mean, it's inevitable. That's how things work. The machine keeps moving and the wheels keep turning. It's just a matter of who it's going to be. We just don't know that yet. So, Joe Lanza, what are your thoughts on Cesaro, old man Lanza? <laughs> old man Lanza. You know, I have to call Rich out on something. On one of our shows, because as we were talking about Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish, he opined that he doesn't know what the hell these guys talk about in the car because Bobby Fish is 38 years old. Kyle O'Reilly is what, 27? There's and only an 11-year age difference. And that's exactly the, our age difference. That's our I'm 38, and Rich is 27. Well, we talk about wrestling. Wrestling's stupid. What else so do they Rich, talk about? So, Rich, here's the thing. I, that, that really hurt my soul because I we, finished, we finished that podcast, and I, I took off my headphones, and I, and I sat, and I sulked, and I thought to myself, Rich doesn't want to be my friend. He thinks that we're – he thinks we're too old to have any common ground, and he, he just doesn't think we would get along, much like Bobby Fish. I think Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly look like they get along, you know, perfectly well. Like they have a great time together. I don't understand why Rich can't be my friend. I don't get it. You know what they talk about? <laughs> they talk about pizza, too. I'm sure they, they do. They do, yeah. That, pizza and wrestling, if they do, they're, they're good then. 
Have you seen episodes of the fish tank? Those yeah. men look splendidly. I don't. We need more. That. That's what we need. More fish tank. Damn right we do. So the names that I think of, and you guys can perhaps add some, but there are three or four names that immediately come to mind when I think of wrestlers that can step up and sort of take the, you know, what that thing. Grabbable carousel ring. Yes. Um, you know, I look at ACH. I look at Cedric Alexander. I look at Trevor Lee. And I look at Matt Cage. Those are the four names that immediately come to mind as guys who I think should be elevated and should be like top stars in whatever companies they're working for. Obviously with Matt Cage, that means AW and Dreamwave. With Cedric Alexander and ACH, that's, that's PWG and Ring of Honor. And with Trevor Lee, that's perhaps getting into uh, the WWN universe as well as uh, winning the PWG title. Anyone, mm-hmm. any thoughts on those names or anyone you would like to add? Uh, I'll go. I'll go a little off the board here. If this man can find a way to harness more of a personality to go along with his ring work and his look, I'm going to throw Ray Rowe into the ring. Have you? You probably have not seen his promo that he cut at uh, AIW's Wrestle Rager Night One. Have you? I definitely have not seen that promo. It's uh, it's the one of the best promos of the year. So there you go. He's got it in him then. I mean, I've seen a ton of his work down here in Texas for the various NWA affiliates. He's a regular with Inspire Pro Wrestling. There's no, Listen, that guy's a top-flight worker. The ring work isn't the issue. The look isn't the issue. The gimmick isn't the issue. There's no issues there. But uh, I've never heard him cut a promo of that caliber that you're talking about. So uh, I, I, am, I agree with you on the promo thing. It's, it's one of the best things I heard. I was floored at the end of it. If you get if you can get a chance to see it, I would definitely check it out because I think what you just talked about, I think he's got it in him. It's just a matter of right place, right time, whether Ring of Honor will let him do that. Well, hopefully they will. And I, I could give two I can give people two match recommendations from last year. First he had a match early on in the year in Inspire Pro Wrestling against Chris Hero, which was legitimately a four to four and a half star match. You could find that on the Inspire website. And he had another match in Inspire, a couple uh a completely different style of match a couple months later against Robert Evans of all people where he did show some personality in the ring. In that. Because if you're wrestling against Robert Evans, he's going to bring the personality out of you. Okay, so that, uh, don't, there. Don't, don't tell Moose that. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> Moose, I think, I, I have opinion. We, listen, this thing could be about four hours like a Voices of Wrestling podcast, but I'll leave my Moose thoughts for another oh, no, night. No, no, because we're, I actually wanted to get to sort of disappointments and blown opportunities in just a few minutes. So, Gil, finish your list up, though. Yeah, I, I would recommend the two Inspire Pro Wrestling matches, which are free on their website. Uh, Ray Rowe, he wrestled Chris Hero early on in the year, and then he wrestled uh, Robert Evans. Two completely different matches, but both great matches in their own right. And uh, you can see Ray Rowe kind of wrestle two different, completely sty- uh, two completely different styles as well. So uh, those were the two matches I wanted to plug for Rowe. Uh, Rich, go ahead. Yeah, no, you had mentioned Matt Cage, and obviously he's one that that that. I really, I mean, I, I, I think he's just an unbelievable talent. I think uh, we're the president and vice president. Of yeah, I mean, and that's fair. I mean, that, that's that. I, I will fully admit, I'm a, I'm a card carrying member of that. But uh, a guy that, that that sort of pops in my mind when Joe was talking about um, uh, uh, about you know guys that are in the independents and guys that should be stars or guys that need to grab grabbable carousel rings or whatever. And one of the guys that that, that kind of always comes up to me, and I see him on shows from time to time, and he's a guy that that. Seemed like three or four years ago he was right on the cusp of that, and then I'm not sure where he's at now. And that's Johnny Gargano, was a guy who still 
supremely talented. I think he's getting better every single year he gets in the ring, yet he's still just kind of there. And, you know, this is a guy who, when Dragon Gate USA w- w- was was doing well, when it was one of the, you know, talk of the independent scene or whatever, he was kind of the, 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 the bear. I mean, he was the top guy. He was the featured actor or whatever. And there was talk of him maybe going to WWE, and he's like the top independent wrestler. And now in 2014, he's still just kind of floating around. And he's, go, you know, he's in a bunch of shows, and he's still a big draw, but he's not really – I really wonder if, if, if at some point we have to either – he's got to become something more. You, you know what I mean? Where that's a guy that, that, that in 2010 I would have said, yes, this guy is going to be the, the, the next superstar of independent I, wrestling. I don't understand it. I mean, and this we're is here. the guy. Yeah, I mean, and, and we're he still works, here, and it's just there. I mean, he it's, works I, I don't WWN. He was the main event of that China show that we talked about earlier. He was in the finals of BOLA. He's a huge part of AIW. He had some great matches in AEW. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> but he's not a draw. I mean, it doesn't. I, and, I and agree. It's, it's I think you're right. He's not a guy that we talk about. He's not. A, I mean, we, we rarely, if ever, talk about him. When I go to a show, people aren't like, "Oh my God, Johnny Gargano's going to be here." Whatever. People cheer and root because it's like, "Oh, I'm going to get a good match out of this." But it's not the same thing. See, as I'm like, the president of the Johnny Gargano fan club, so this this breaks my heart. But I think you're right. I, I generally think you're right. And, and that's I, I don't mean it as a guy who's and maybe I, I don't want to necessarily put him as a disappointment. And maybe we can get started on the on the disappointment part there because I think he's doing all he can do I, to an extent. But I don't know what it is. It's just, just something missing about him. And I don't know, I, I don't think there is, you know what I mean? There's something missing. I have no idea what it is, but I don't know why there is something missing. He's got everything there. I mean, he's a good-looking dude, in great shape, great wrestler, decent promo. I mean, he's, he's worked everywhere. He works everywhere. He's always, I mean, and just for whatever reason, he's still kind of in the same spot. And, and hell, you can argue regressed from where he was in, in, in 2011. And that, that's unfathomable to me. I can't believe that. And at the beginning of this year, too, as you know, we, Joe mentioned the WrestleMania weekend, he was the featured actor. That was his – it was a big deal about him, you know, losing that title. And, and, and since then, he's just not been the same. I mean, something is just missing with him. And I, I don't get it because he's just – he's too talented for him not to be a superstar in the independent scene. It's just I, – I don't get it. Absolutely. So as we, we talk about some of the disappointments – I guess the one thing that I think independent wrestling needs to do more of is I think they really need to focus on storylines. And you could probably say this for any year, but I just think in general, I think 2015 is going to be about more storylines and about cultivating talent. With Ring of Honor going to exclusive contracts, with uh, with Lucha Underground sort of um, having their own thing, and WWN potentially going to China – WWE sort of expanding the type of wrestler that they look for. I think independent wrestling needs to do a better job of of sort of building their own talent. And I think AEW Vanguard is a step in the right direction there. I think uh, what Beyond Wrestling does with the secret shows, that is an opportunity for them to take a look at some uh, some newer talents. And uh, I guess I, uh, other than that, you can either respond to that or anything else that you think independent wrestling needs to do a better job of in 2015. Well, real quick, uh, you mentioned the storyline part, and I thought that, that, that brought to mind something that – and, and it's a show that you and I both went to as well, and that was Freelance Wrestling in Chicago, who's a relatively new company that runs uh, the Abbey Pub in Chicago. And the buildup to that, the event that I went to, and I, I, the name escapes me of what it was, but the buildup was this amazingly well-done YouTube video about the background of 
Vicapri and 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 what Vicapri had went through and how he got to this point and it was Vicapri versus Jason Hades. Right, exactly, right. And 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 it, it, the guys don't matter. I mean, to be honest, let's let's. I I I, I like Vicapri. He's, he's he's a great talent. I've been watching him since I was like ten years old or whatever. Good, you know. But it does. The point was is the production of it, the seriousness of it. It is so simple to do, and that that video went all around. It, it, it caught on. People saw it. We shared it. You know, other people shared it. Uh, you know, people were going to that show, and they they were going there because that, that, that video had hooked them in, and that was a very simple story that they had told. And like I said, it doesn't matter who the guys are. It, it, it just so happened to be a guy that you can tell a pretty good story with. But if you put a little bit of effort into that, and there's not – I mean, you can edit video so easily. <laughs> now, there's no excuse anymore in 2015 to not be able to have a, a functioning YouTube channel – with promos and with, with story building and, 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 you know, vignettes or whatever to get ready for these big events. Because that event, I was ready for that match. I don't care. I really didn't care about Jason Hades and Vic Capri, but I watched that video and was like, well, shit. I mean, every, it's a big deal to them, so it's a big deal to me. And that, I think, speaks to your point of it. it that, that's a big deal in 2015 is that – We need more of that. Exactly. You have the accessibility. You have – all the tools are there. Make it happen. Everything that you could possibly need. There's nothing stopping. I really don't. And I think I think storytelling in wrestling is a problem, not in the individual match sense. Like, I'm not going to talk about psychology and go on a Jim Cornette rant, but it's about making people care about the characters and what's going on. And I think this is this is a systemic problem that it goes on in WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor, everywhere. And I would just like to see what you mentioned, Rich, about that Vicapri Jason Hades match. You're talking about two guys that nobody cares about. And if you if you can make people care in seven minutes about those two guys, just imagine what you could do with all of the great independent wrestling talent right. out there, the Biff Busicks, the Garganos. And you know, some of these guys can cut promos and some of them can't. But there's another guy who I want to mention is uh Josh Prohibition from AIW and I don't know if you guys – they put some of his promos on YouTube. But if you go and just watch his promos, you will be more excited for the Matt Cross match that happened six months ago than probably what you're going to see at the Royal Rumble in three weeks. The, his promos are that good. And obviously not every wrestler is going to be – to have that, that skill set. But through simple storytelling, I think you can make people care. It's so easy to do now with the editing tools, with YouTube – and I just think that pro wrestling needs to get back to that. I think dream matches are great, but I think we're, we're to a point where we've sort of seen everything that can be done uh, within reason. And, you know, I think for me as a fan, I think what I like as a wrestling fan has changed a lot in the last seven or eight years from sort of the indie style to sort of liking more storytelling and building up to things because that's that, that's what I think matters. Yeah, I think um, hopefully this China thing can relight a fire under Gabe because when he's – we talked about it earlier. When he's at his best, I think he's a, a brilliant booker. I would use the word brilliant to describe his booking when, when, he's at his, when he's at his best. I think that a combination of factors, he just hasn't been as motivated in recent years. And, you know, bookers burn out too. I mean, you, yes. know, you know, they really need to say – and he's been booking pro wrestling consistently since 2002. I mean, he's been booking pro wrestling for a long time. And I think this period of sort of malaise that he's had where, look, he even talked about – I heard him in an interview with Brian Alvarez about a year ago where he talked about, look, I had a kid. I, you know, my focus wasn't 100% wrestling anymore. I just I, – I, it's just not – it's not what I live and breathe. And I thought that was kind of refreshing 
you know, and, and maybe during this period he's been – because clearly the booking for Evolve and Drag at USA has not been inspired. They, 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 they've not been you know, particularly well-booked promotions at all. They've kind of just been there story-wise like everybody else. But um, but maybe this China thing will reinvigorate him and re-excite him. And now that he's had a few years where he hasn't really been pushing himself as hard as he used to, that we can see the Gabe of old who really tells great uh, long-term stories. I mean he used to plan out his Ring of Honor champions literally – you know, years in advance uh, with certain guys. He, you know, he planned out the entire Nigel McGuinness storyline from the moment that he started booking the guy until he ultimately won the title. And that was a long, slow build through the pure title and everything else. And it took a long time. And, and, and you know, I'd like to see that game again. And, and maybe China will will give us a chance to see that. As far as things that have been disappointing to me in 2014 – I'm very disappointed that Ring of Honor makes me watch B.J. Whitmer, and I don't want to watch B.J. Whitmer anymore, and uh, that's something that jumps out at me as something that's severely disappointing. When I go to Ring of Honor shows and B.J. Whitmer comes out, I just, oh, man, I got to sit through another B.J. When I watch Ring of Honor TV and B.J. Whitmer, I go, oh, man, I got to sit through another B.J. So please, if there's one thing that's been more disappointing to me other than, see, the CZW shows weren't disappointing because I expected them to be bad, but when C.J. Whitmer, hits the ring, or comes on my TV screen, I, I don't know if there's anything that can possibly be more disappointing than that. In, you in the owe, year you owe BJ Whitmer money, Joe Lanza. <laughs> I, listen, I've never met the man. And listen, I've heard he's a great guy. You know, and, and, and you know, he broke his neck, and he made his great come, and that's tremendous that he's been able to come back, and, you know, you know I, I'm sure he's the nicest guy. I'm hey, Listen, you know, I, but the fact of the matter is, you know, um, you know, I'm sure there's a bunch of uh, great musicians and actors who are great people, too. That doesn't mean I have to like them all, all right? So uh, when, when B.J. Whitmer's uh, applying his craft, it's not something that Joe Lanza's very interested in. I can't believe, after all these years, I thought after those torturous B.J. Whitmer-Jimmy Jacobs matches that I had to suffer through 10 years ago. You're this the guy only would... one I know that doesn't like those matches. I, I know. I Listen, I will, I will gladly be in the minority on that, okay? That was my ROH pizza break. I would go get a couple slices of terrible ROH pizza and 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 go eat my pizza <laughs> while 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 those two guys were beating each other up with spikes and there was no pizza. way it was worse than the chicago ring of honor pizza ring of honor pizza in any city uh, no, that chicago stuff was I, I i ate it once and i will Rich, never you go i mean roses after the show because that pizza was outstanding no that pizza is great the one that the, the like heat lamps like home run in like look, individuals look at high that, schoolers raising money for their park district Rich, yeah they that pissed they don't make a good za they, they do not make a very good pizza look but. it's not, it's not like some jerk who's working behind the counter for minimum wage these are like high schoolers raising money oh that shit was coming from a place i don't know where it was coming Come on, from Rick. they, they the were just taking out of the heat lamp I expect they the to be, but not you. No, they make good popcorn, so I'll give them that. And the the, the Skittles were always good too, so that that's all right. I'll, I'll Guys, the problem the problem with the problem with ROH Pizza in Eddie City is that they would have is that they would have whether it was quality pizza or not, they'd have two hundred pizzas delivered a half hour before the show, and then they're still selling you those cold pizzas three hours later. Uh, you know, for the semi main event, they need to stagger the pizza delivery. So that they have fresh ROH pizza for for the, for the uh, for the fans who don't want to sit through another 
never ending BJ Whitmer, Jimmy Jacobs brawl. Okay? <laughs> By the time I went up to get the ROH pizza, it had been sitting there for two and a half hours. But still, that rock hard, cardboard ROH pizza was more entertaining to me than watching BJ Whitmer do whatever the hell it is that BJ Whitmer does. So, and still, it's 2015, and he's still on my TV. Why am I still watching BJ Whitmer matches in 2015? I've seen, I've probably seen more live BJ Whitmer matches than any person walking the planet. Every time I go to an indie show, BJ Whitmer's on it. I've seen more of this guy than anybody, and I've never liked the BJ Whitmer match. I can confidently say that I've never sat down in my chair in an indie show, and BJ Whitmer finished his match, and I never turned to the person next to me and said, wow, I, I, I enjoyed that BJ Whitmer. Have you ever said those words? Have you ever said the word? wow, I really enjoyed that BJ Whitmer match? I, I'm no. not going to lie, Kill. I, I love those BJ Whitmer, Jimmy Jacobs matches. Okay, take those out of the equation. Have you ever liked, like, your 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 common, basic B.J. Whitmer mid-card indie match against indie wrestlers? I mean, the last co- I mean, def- look, definitely this past year, I don't know whether how much of his injury played into it, but there are definitely a lot of matches this past year that I didn't like, but I remember when he came back, because you remember he was out of wrestling for a little bit and got fat, and then he came back, and he was doing, like, some matches in AIW and AEW. I really like some of those matches. I, I wish I could tell you I mean, he had some matches with, I think, Elgin in AAW, and I thought he was doing some really good work there. I, I don't know. I like Kill. I, I don't – I mean, I guess different strokes for different folks. I can't believe the words I, that are I've, – I've never I like – look, like I said, BJ Whitmer's not my favorite wrestler in the world, but I don't, I don't have the venom. Like, I can't materialize. Like, there are some guys that you could just get me going on for hours, but BJ Whitmer really isn't one of them. I, when I think of B.J. Whitmer, he just – the words mediocre just flash in front of my eyes. Just, <laughs> the guy is the driest, most mediocre – and, and, and I'm still watching him on what are supposedly state-of-the-art indie shows 10 years after I was tired of him. So I, I just I, – I don't get it. I've never heard those words uttered. Wow, I really enjoyed that B.J. Whitmer match. Like that, I don't think that sentence has ever been said by a human, ever. Rich, I, you, I, I, you, you got to break the tie, I think. Uh, I don't really like him. <laughs> I've never oh. really enjoyed him. So. I've, I, I don't hate him with the venom. I, I'll put you somewhere in the middle then, I, I, I guess, because I don't have the venom. I mean, Joe really dislikes him. I don't him. hate him. Oh, look, he I, doesn't I, hate him as a person. He just no, no, I didn't say that. It's not I mean, even that. A, it's, not even, it's not even – I don't hate him. He's just – there's nothing compelling about B.J. Whitmer. And that I've always been of that. I've always kind of shrugged off his matches. Those In, in those great Ring of Honor days in like the, the mid-2000s or whatever, he was my bathroom break wrestler. Absolutely. Every single time, no matter what. Uh, I wouldn't get a pizza because they were disgusting, so I wasn't like Joe. But I, I would immediately a B.J. Whitmer match would happen and I'd go to the bathroom, and, and, and I knew that it wasn't going to matter that much. And, and I don't – I mean, I, I, I guess he's a solid hand these days, but, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. I – I don't know if I, I, I actively dislike his matches, but they're kind of just there for me at this point. What is so solid about him? The man ra- – okay, first of all, I, 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 look, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I mean, the guy the – guy, the guy, the, his look is mediocre. His work is medi- – look, there's nothing bad about B.J. Whitmer. He's just like – Well, that, I, I guess that's what I'm saying is there's, no, there's nothing he's, actively bad about it. He's just He's there. slightly below average at everything. Right. That's the problem with B.J. Whitmer. He's slightly below average in, like, every... And it has apparently raised your ire to the point where you just hate him. I don't hate the man. I I would... You hate his work. You hate his work. Listen, I I don't know. I would gladly shake his hand and thank him for his years. Well, not anymore. I don't think he's going to want to shake your hand. I I, 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 I just... Just slap Joe in the face. 
I don't want to see him perform. Look, man, I don't like the band Rush either. It doesn't mean that I hate them. I just, when a Rush song comes on the radio, you my want to finger, rush away. Yeah, my finger can't hit the next station. They, you know, I can't hit the button fast enough to switch to the next what station. What if DJ Whitmer was singing a Rush song? Let me tell you something. BJ Whitmer should come out to Rush because it would fit him perfectly. I mean, he should come out to a Rush song. It would just, it would just make way too much sense. He should come out to Rush. And it could just be, and it could just encompass everything that I have no care for. And then, you know what he could do? He could wrestle Timothy Thatcher, and they can grapple each other for twenty-five minutes. And it could be, it could be the complete antithesis of anything I want to see in a wrestling ring. So how about that? How did I? I listen. I had no plans on ripping BJ Whitmer on this. <laughs> I don't know what then. What once, happened? Once I get going, I just get going. I can't help myself. And again, Jesus. you know, this is this is why our shows go over four hours, man. Rich, uh, any disappointment? <laughs> I don't know how you follow that. I, d- I really don't know if I can. Joe Lance is like yeah. Dolph Ziggler. Yeah, I d- that's... Yeah, oh, I, I mean, he stole I the show. I like I, 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 yeah, I like disappointments. I like um, shoots. I probably had some, but I got lost in this B.J. Whitmer one. Um, oh, man, I, I, <laughs> I'm at a loss for words. I don't... Uh, disappointments. I really, I don't know. Well, I Rich, why I, don't why don't you rip somebody? Since I don't, I don't rip anybody. I love, I love everybody. You don't like Joe. Jimmy I, Jacobs? I, Jimmy Jacobs. Rip Jimmy Jacobs. No, he's a very nice person. That's oh, that, that's only because you probably run into him socially now. But you, yeah, and, and, and never before. Yeah, no, I, I enjoy. No, I think my biggest disappointment, I think, would be. I guess it's that we. We had a really good, and I guess it's sort of. I mentioned it earlier in the match of the year that we there was a few good ones here and there, and there, there were some matches that are getting votes. But I think one of my disappointments, and, and I guess it's the fact that we haven't, you know, it sort of adds to what you were talking about a little bit that we don't, or Jerome, you were talking about the stories aren't there or whatever, is that we're getting these awesome matches and these dream matches and they're fun and they're all that. And when they're over, there's some claps and it's good, but nothing is really catching me. Like, I mean, there was years where independent wrestling was was so far and away. There was obviously great, great matches. There was just unbelievable matches. There was there was matches that you had to go out of your way to see, and that, and that might have been the heyday of Ring of Honor, but it was not that long ago where Dragon at USA was having those, where Evolve would have some of those, and I think there's some here and there. And Chikara. I mean, I could argue that Yeah, oh, oh, God, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. 2009, Chikara had as many Match of the Year candidates as even, like, WWE. I, I would be that bold. Certainly. No, absolutely. You don't even have to go all the way back to 2009. When me and Rich started our show, we actively enjoyed Chikara. Can you imagine that now? I mean, we, we, we thoroughly enjoyed it. That's only going back to, what, 2011? I mean, that, that tournament that they had uh, for the Grand Championship is one of the best things indie wrestling has probably done in the last few years. I yeah. mean, that, that tournament was amazing. And I think that one of the disappointments of this year is that we've had, I mean, there's more accessibility, more people are watching it, more people are doing this. We talked about the Battle of Los Angeles and all that, but, you know, we're talking now, we're talking about matches and, and tournaments that we still remember. In two years, are we going to remember Battle of Los Angeles 14? And no, or I, I don't know if any independent match this year is going to hook us where there's going to be new oh, wrestling Eddie fans. Keith and Keith Walker's a match that I'm going to remember. That one was fucking fantastic. That was my anti-disappointment of the year, of, of me going in and being like, ah, fuck, this match is going to be awful, and it ended up being the, the, fucking incredible. Like, two guys that I have no interest in whatsoever, a guy that I actively dislike in Eddie Kingston, having one of the best matches I had seen all year. Joe Lanza, have you seen this match? No, I, I'm, I, listen, I, I swear Kingston, to God, I swear, I, 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 I'm with Rich on this one. I, I'm telling I'll, you, Joe, you know I'll my give it a shot, I'll Kingston. give it a shot. I can't you, stand Eddie Kingston. I, you, I don't, you know, I groaned. I was, 
loudly groaning when he came out, and at the end, I was standing ovation. It was it was Eddie, incredible. Eddie, Eddie Kingston is one of the best promos in all of wrestling. I will never take that away. Eddie Kingston gave perhaps the best promo I've ever heard when he gave the promo for whatever that first Chikara eye pay-per-view was. The, the, uh, the Quackenbush uh, high noon match. It, yeah, the the high noon promo is the, is may, might be the best pro wrestling promo I've ever seen. That, that had me on my feet. When he was saying that he was going to get on his hands and knees and crawl to the building to win that title, I wanted to get on my hands and knees and crawl with him. I, I was all in on Eddie Kingston with that promo. But – I can't stand Eddie Kingston bell to bell. The Eddie Kingston Tim Donst match at Chikarasaurus Rex Ugh. is not good. You, you want to talk about one of the worst matches you'll ever see? You I know, mean, he was he was blown up two minutes into that thing, and poor Tim Donst tried his ass off to make something out of it, but that was just not going to be Donst night uh, in there with Kingston. Eddie Kingston's problem has always been consistency. There are times that you can watch an Eddie Kingston match, and it will be unbelievably great. And there are times that you'll watch him. And it'll be so bad. I And there's a dichotomy. Like, the Eddie Kingston-Mike Quackenbush match from High Noon is one of my favorite independent matches ever. But the Red Dragon versus Eddie Kingston homicide match from Final Battle last year is one of the most dreadful matches I've ever seen. It's, it's so weird. And, you know, that Kingston-Walker match was something that nobody was looking forward to, really. And they, they really stole the show. So Eddie, Eddie Kingston, I like him. But when he's not motivated, it's it's a chore to watch his work. I couldn't agree more. Right there with you. But, yeah, I, I think overall before I wrap up, I mean, that, that I think is, is one of the disappointments is that, you know, we've had a few years now where I don't know if we've had a, a run of just really and, – and, and there's no reason. I mean, the, the, the talent is absolutely there, but we haven't had those unbelievably – iconic all-time great wrestling matches and it, it, it it's it's it seems kind of unrealistic to expect that on a yearly basis but at least one a year that you would kind of hope you get and i don't know if we got that i don't know if we got that in 2013 either so it, it's i it's think sort it's of been, about building feuds too i mean right and that's like, that's my main point is that it, it's good to have hey this guy and this guy these are two really good wrestlers yeah that's fine that's really good and the match in in itself is fun and it's interesting and it's it's but the reason, and people always mix it up, the reason those Ring of Honor matches in the, in the mid-2000s are so well-received and people still watch them today is not just because they were well-worked. They were absolutely well-worked. The reason was is because they were built well, because Gabe Sapolsky knew what the hell he was doing, and everybody in that crowd, everybody that was watching it on a DVD or whatever, was invested in those two guys and their two stories. It wasn't just moves happening and everybody goes, yeah, independent moves or whatever. That's not at all what it was. It was the fact that good... Really, really good stories were being told in the ring 